Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. Welcome to episode 32 of Middle Brow Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gane. I'm Isabel Arf. Uh, Derek, yes. welcome mm. to the new age. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> the, the most progressive president of all time has been uh, uh, officially the, sworn in. It's the Biden era, baby. <laughs> Hey, remember like how the Obama didn't actually accomplish fucking anything and set the stage for Trump? Well, what if we did that again? Just yeah. ran it back, but this time the person who's doing it is senile. It's great. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna read a message that I sent to you last night, and we're gonna go from there <laughs> because I think oh, it's a boy. it's a good little preamble for what uh, is about to happen. All right, so. I said, uh, so Derek, good news. This was at 12.40 a.m., by the way. I feel like that's important. I was in bed so by Derek. that time, just because I worked early. <laughs> and also it was 2 a.m. where you are. That's right. It was 2 a.m. where I was. Yeah. Uh, so Derek, good news. I'm prepared. I have two intros ready for tomorrow. One for if Joe Biden gets assassinated, one for if he doesn't. Oh, so no. we're all set. <laughs> now, as far as I know, seven, it's 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Inauguration Day 2021, and as far as I know, Joe Biden is still alive. To the best of my knowledge, that is true. Uh-huh. Um, which, hey, you know, keep on keeping on, buddy. Just go for it. Why not? <laughs> Just keep uh, on trucking until it don't truck no more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I was very surprised that... Uh, there was a deep, dark little part of my brain that was like, it's, I mean, there's a non-zero chance that it happens. I mean... Certainly, the, cli- the the political climate would allow for it, but uh, I've done a pretty good job of shutting up that part of my brain. Like, I, ent- I entertain the notion, and then it immediately leaves, like, so many uh, intrusive thoughts. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's a good thing that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that Joe Biden wasn't assassinated today, just to make that clear. <laughs> in, in, in the abstract, you know. In the abstract, yes. I'm A man did I'm not happy. lose his life. You can tell how happy I am. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I will say for all of our listeners, I'm obviously not a fan of uh, uh, our former president, uh, sure. Mr. Donald uh, Joseph Trump. I don't know if that's a real, real name, but hey. I think it is. It's either Joseph or John. Uh, not Jidenet. <laughs> it is uh, Donald Jorts Trump, which is the worst joke I've ever made in my life. <laughs> Uh, imagine now imagining Donald J. Trump and like Kevin Smith's jorts. <laughs> Wait, pre, pre or po- like pre weight loss or post weight loss? Uh, of Kevin Smith? That's right. Uh, like pre, pre. like okay. these got to be the biggest jorts you jorts. can get. Yeah. Big jorts. Like, you know, like I the don't... Peter Gabriel song, Big Time. I am full of bullshit today. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were doing a, uh, oh, fuck. Um, in in my fifth grade class, we did a <laughs> musical interpretation of uh, the founding of America, 
And there was a song <laughs> about King George, and in the uh, chorus, it was like King George. And went from there. Was it set um, to the tune of Big Time by Peter Gabriel? <laughs> I've never heard Big Time by Peter Gabriel, so it might be. That would make more sense than like my fifth grade teacher just for some reason writing an entire musical for children to perform uh, about the revolution uh, of the United States. <laughs> Specific revolution, not just all of them. Um, I don't think she was like a big Thomas Sankara fan as far as I'm aware. Um, Man, we someone playing Middle Brow Madness reference bingo is having a... They are dabbing that card like it's nobody's business right now. We got Peter Gabriel, <laughs> Thomas Sankara, Kevin Smith. Um, who else have we mentioned in like the three minutes we started recording this show? Uh, I don't remember, but here's the important thing. Mm-hmm. So I had I had two intro set up for today. Uh-huh. The one if for if Joe Biden got assassinated, I'm going to hold off on. Okay. Um, because that one. Uh, it's something I can hold off on. Like it wasn't, it, it was suited to, uh, to a lack of controversy, let's say. It was, mm. it was particularly non-political, as okay. much as anything be non-political. But um, uh, the one I wanted to do, um, if he didn't get assassinated, is um, if it's all right with you. <laughs> and I don't see why it wouldn't be. I wanted to um, read... Uh, the tweets that I've made that would be most incriminating against me if I were to go to a court of law. Oh, boy. You're airing out your own dirty laundry? I figure it might as well make it easy for the FBI. Like, it's, like, you know. <laughs> like Don Henley? <laughs> I, this is the second the show Henley in a row. This, podcast. this is either the second show in a row or the second show in three where we've referenced Don Henley. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so you were saying... Uh, we're gonna start with like only the minorly incriminating ones. We're gonna end with the uh, the worst ones. Uh, these aren't all directed at Biden, to be clear. They're just uh, the kind of things that if you pulled them up in court immediately after Joseph Biden was assassinated, it wouldn't make me look great. Is all I'm saying. Okay. I've made plenty of tweets like that. I'm sure. Like I, I'm sure I'm gonna watch this somewhere. But these are the ones that are worse than usual. Are maybe. they about Joe Biden specifically? All some of them. of them. Okay, some of them. All some right. of them. So this is like a fucked up David Letterman top 10. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. So uh, these are some of the more minor ones. So uh, this isn't going to happen, but it'll be outstandingly funny if Trump and Biden both died from COVID before November. Okay. Pretty okay. innocuous. I mean, it's, it as far um, as, yeah, okay. <laughs> Trump has, when Trump has COVID, you know, you get a little crazy. Everyone um, got a little crazy when Trump got, remember when Trump got COVID? It was one of the best times of the past, like, of, of 2020. Like, not even close. Maybe the best communal moment of 2020. Either that or when that cop station got burned down. I was going to say when Parasite won four Oscars, but fuck me, I guess. I didn't even see that fucking movie. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't watch movies anymore. Only for this podcast and for um for a good time. It's all we do. Every other week on the Noise Space Podcast Network. Um, here's a couple that aren't ex- explicitly directed at, uh, Joseph Biden, but that like give maybe a little bit of a, a, a character. And I want to end with the ones that are the, maybe the most incriminating. You're doing your Randy Newman. So, uh, my sizzling hot take is it would be morally justified for one of the other nuclear armed nations to give Iran a supply of nuclear weapons right now. Um, I'm not saying you should do this, but it would be morally justified to burn down the telegraph's headquarters in London. Um, <laughs> it would be more ethical to enlist in the Iranian military than the U.S. military. Those are all just true things. So, you know, can't true facts stated, can't get mad at me for that. Uh, there was the time that 
This is one I, I got temporarily suspended for. I didn't, is, know you got, uh, I, I didn't know you were in Twitter jail. Just for a sec. It was, it was quick. <laughs> well, I did it twice. One was when I told, um, what's uh, the, the little man with the bad voice? Uh, ben Shapiro. I told Ben Shapiro um, <laughs> that, uh, the that, that I hope is like helicopter crash or something like that, uh, which, you know, I understand why I got put in Twitter jail for that one. I also understand why I got put in Twitter jail for this one. Uh, so Scott Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin, is that right? Yeah, yeah uh, governor. former governor of Wisconsin, not to be confused with the uh, with the the Sun Donia uh, the Sun fuck what's the name of that song? I love that song, the Bishbosh guy. Yeah, the Bishbosh guy, which is very important. You say that because the tweet that uh, he said some dumb shit, and then I um, quote tweeted him and said, "I really wish you would have died instead of the other Scott Walker." Oh right, he which, passed away okay. last year, didn't he? Yeah, mm, tragic. Lots, lots of great musicians passed away last year. The sun ain't gonna shine anymore by the Walker Brothers. I love that fucking song. It's a great song. Walker Brothers in general, wonderful. Uh, here's here's a tweet I didn't make, but that I did post on Tumblr because no one gets mad at you on Tumblr for posting things like this. <laughs> I think people get. I think people on Tumblr get mad at posts. Just they don't get mad at like like they don't get mad at me for saying the following though. Okay, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but Mitch McConnell is vulnerable to many of the same things turtles are: pollution, being flipped on his back, large bore hunting rifles, and rhubarb leaves. <laughs> Fucking um, semis running over him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here are the, here are the most incriminating ones. Uh, of oh, there, there's more, uh, but I, I cut some of them disclaimer, out. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. Disclaimer, FBI, with- these are parody. This is hashtag, hashtag parody. Ha- yeah, parody, parody, hashtag parody. Um, uh, Mel Brown Madness does not endorse necessarily the views expressed by their hosts individually. Well, well, hold on. I think I think Middle Brad Madness as a podcast supports assassinating all living presidents, <laughs> but like, but I don't. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. All right. Whatever. So, what's a real incriminating shit? God, I'm looking at these. These are I. I'm surprised that I didn't get reported for some of these. Oh my god! So, um, back in my day, people didn't get so uptight when you joked in public about assassinating a sitting president, including precise details for how you would do it, planned down to the minute of his next visit in your state. This is PC culture run amok. <laughs> um, that one's you know just a fun little joke. To be fair, that's I mean, a generous reading of that joke would be like this is a play on PC culture talk and not killing sitting presidents. Yes, which, which, that's what it was, but hey. Then, so this is set up in the, like, two dialogues kind of uh, tweet format. So, uh-huh. Anarchist in 2020, uh, I'm going to start a community-owned barbershop that exclusively offers gender-neutral haircuts, and you purchase one by singing a song about sustainable beekeeping. Uh, anarchist in it's 1901, I'm going to murder the president. See, again, that's um, like... These are the fun jokes. These are the ones that, like, hey, I can explain these ones away. Just like I can also explain the one I made the other day that said, I think at the inauguration tomorrow, it'd be fun if you got a gun when you walked in and you get told that it was exactly one bullet in it, but none of them do, uh, but none of them have one. And when you try to fire it, you get ink on your face and the flag that says bang comes out of the barrel. That's very funny. But this one, so this was May 18th, 2020. Um, I think the bipartisan solution is we publicly execute every still living president. <laughs> that one, looking back on, not the smartest tweet ever made. But hey, there's a way there, there there's there's a way to make that joke where it's like a fucking presidential Thunderdome or something. Yeah, but then people wouldn't know I mean it. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean it when I talk about Mad Max shit. Um, this wasn't that funny. We're going to do a different intro. <laughs> 
I mean, Although, uh, hey, hey, maybe I will keep this in, but I do want, I'll probably cut some of that out, but I do want to read just one of my favorite. I was, so I was searching my own Twitter for like words like murder and assassinate and those kind of things <laughs> um, to find a lot of these. Oh, you and I navigate the world in very different ways as well. Or, oh, um, boy. But while doing that, I found one of my favorite tweets I've ever made that I'd like to read just because um, I enjoy it. Okay. Uh, if, if there were rewards for wife murder, Alan Dershowitz would get one for lifetime achievement. Oh, my God. Um, but more a, importantly, if we're... <laughs> I made a tweet yesterday that I thought was very good and no one liked it. That's how, that's all my and, tweets. My, and that, that the way it goes? Uh, I mean, the one that I made the other day that got like three likes and I was like, this is way funnier than you guys are treating it as, is um, the setup was Alvin uh, Lucier was talking to you on a cell phone in a public bathroom. And he says, I am shitting in a room different than the one you are in now. <laughs> Which is funny to everyone who likes minimalist, cla- like art music for everyone else that is makes no sense but it's fine i mean are you the one, no i'm not i have absolutely no idea who that dude is oh he, did, he made a his most famous composition is called i am sitting in a room and uh the text of it is i'm sitting in a room different than the one you are in now and then he explains the process for the piece and essentially what he did is he recorded himself saying that and then played it back into the room and recorded himself saying it again so by the end of it all you're hearing is the room resonance you don't hear his words anymore it's very good. And it was a great joke. Uh, <laughs> shitting and sitting are the, sound the same. Uh, but, we're, you know, we're talking about, twi- about Twitter right now. And we're a lot of it's getting cut out. So the most <laughs> important thing we need to, to acknowledge is that uh, RIP to a real one. RIP to the greatest poster. Like, I don't agree with everything that President Donald Trump did. Okay, <laughs> sure. President. But we have to admit that he was one of the greatest posters to ever do it. Like probably like like who I else is better? Like drill, maybe, but even then. I don't even think it's close. You know, drill drill is <laughs> drill is better than Donald Trump. No, dr- drill drill's like a creation though. Donald Donald Trump is a real human being. You do not and you do absolutely do not have to hand it to him. <laughs> For his posting, you gotta say like saying things like I would like to extend my best wishes to all, even the haters and losers, on this special date, September 11th. <laughs> the- <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good shit post. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say... It sounds, uh, like, a a similar, drill, it sounds a, like a drill tweet. In a similar vein, sorry losers, losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest, and you all know it. Uh, please don't feel so stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. Uh, then there was everything he ever said about Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, which, if you haven't read... <laughs> Please look up. Look up all the tweets he ever made about Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. It's great. Um, but my favorite one, uh, this is, you know, the, the way I think we should, should send him off uh, in a little Viking funeral. Put this on the flag. <laughs> Print out a very large flag with this on it. Um, Sissy Graydon Carter of failing Vanity Fair magazine and owner of bad food restaurants has a problem. His Vanity Fair Oscar party is no longer hot. I, I love that so much, Derek. There's Yo, so many good things about there. there there's the phrase years. bad food restaurants. Bad food restaurants. <laughs> there's the idea that his Oscar party is no longer, and this is in quotation marks, uh, hot. And you can imagine the voice, uh, Graydon Carter being called a sissy, which is not a thing I hear as an insult anymore. I literally just hear it when, like, I'm getting fucked. But, but up, up, but up, up. Um, Wrong podcast. Yeah, who cares? Um, Derek, we don't always talk about uh, how much we miss President Donald J. Trump from Twitter oh oh um, and how much we wish Parler had stayed up. You know what was the funniest thing about Parler going down? Did you um, follow this whole business? 
Not really. So, um, when Parlor got taken down, or like right before Hold that, on, uh, time like, out. What's Parlor? Um, for our audience, I'm sure you know what it is because of Steph, but for the audience, Parlor was like an alternative social media network, kind of like Twitter, oh, but for like people a- that were too racist to stay on Twitter. Oh, like a gab. Yes, it was like Gab, but it um, worked slightly better. Like, Gab used to shut down all the time and, like, had constant, like, it couldn't handle a single DDoS attack and it couldn't even handle its regular user base most of the time. Mm-hmm. Parlor kind of worked, but um, <laughs> Parlor also did uh, two really great things that I really appreciate. <laughs> Number one is um, Parlor kept the geotags on all the pictures anyone ever posted. It didn't like strip those of the of the picture like twitter does oh so when uh, for you those who don't thing, know well, you, you mean actually <laughs> a bad thing <laughs> um here's uh some infosec information for all the kids out there whenever you take a picture um on a digital like device it or on a digital device that is like gps it puts your geotag location in that picture mm-hmm. and if you're going to be doing anything legal you should make sure that you strip those out of there um and twitter Strips those out of there so that way, you know, no one can just download it and know what your fucking location is. Parlor doesn't do that. <laughs> Parlor just, like, put up the actual picture and kept all the geotag information in it, which is beautiful. And even better, if you wanted, like, the, the professional Parlor account, like, like the, their Twitter pro. There was a, their, their there was a pro. Parlor pro? Yeah, there was a Parlor pro. And you had to um, give them a copy of your driver's license and I believe also social security number. That's insane. And uh, it was on a WordPress site that wasn't secured properly. So someone was Uh able to go in and download every single um, driver's license and social security number that Parler had on in stock. That seems bad. I mean, it's only Nazis on Parler. So like, whatever. (laughs) Like, no offense to Nazis, but like, I don't really (laughs) care. Uh, They can eat shit. I'm just not. I'm I mean, not really into him. Yes. I mean, look, look. Yes, am I? Am I the biggest fan imaginable of Donald Trump? Of course, as we've talked about on this podcast before. <laughs> um, am I a far right libertarian? Obviously, like we all know these things about me. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I'm the token reactionary in this podcast, but even that, like, there's a bridge too far. Uh, this, it, like, Parlor was my Mitt Romney moment. Like, this far, no further. Like. Yes. Killing children in, in, like, Iraq and Afghanistan. Great. Deporting, like, more people than ever in history. Sending a lot of them back to their, like, place they were already going to be killed. That's why they left. Awesome. I love it. I love seeing homeless people starve in the streets. These are all great things. But as soon (laughs) as, like, you use the word white, it's iffy. It's real iffy. What are we doing here as... Um, I just wanted to, to like you know give give big ups to to the, the our, our fallen soldiers. Uh, big ups to the Q shaman. No, no, big down, big down. Uh, Q shaman, we we will we will not support your bail fund if you have one, but uh, we'll also not share it. And we won't talk about it on the podcast because I think you're a terrible person. But I will privately share it with Derek, and we'll laugh about it. So oh boy. if that if that heals the hole in your heart that you're not getting from uh. The organic food, they're not serving you. I'll probably just hang my head the whole time. Real Tom Dooley situation. Uh, Derek, <laughs> so I'm going to have to go, go back through and edit half of that, but right now... Uh, that's That was like 20 minutes of material, Doug. Sure, uh, but I mean, hey, you know, we do... we do. I, I, I know what I know, as Paul Simon said. What <laughs> is this podcast about? 
I don't know anymore. I have a fucking clue. Oh. Also, uh, what do you call it? Last shout out is to uh, all our Q brothers and sisters. Um, <laughs> what are you keep doing? the faith. The storm's still coming. Uh, you you just got to keep holding out for it. It's, it's coming, guys. Don't worry. It's definitely not complete bullshit. And you definitely were just strung along for like three years. <laughs> I'm about to storm the fuck out of this recording session. Has there been any like day of my life that something went from so scary to like so just funny fucking stupid, so quickly? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Only you would know that. Only I can be the judge. But Derek, <laughs> there's one thing I can judge. And that's movies. Yep. And that's movies against each other, huh? All right. So despite everything you've heard, don't believe the hype. This is, for all intents and purposes, a movie podcast where we talk about movies. You can keep telling yourself that. Oh, boy. Every day it gets also, a Also, uh, we, we heard about the update to uh, the Chastity device. We will we'll get into it next episode. We just don't have time. Oh, yeah. Don't that. worry about that. I, I brought it to Isabel's attention, who obviously had already seen it, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they talked about it in Trash Future, and also someone emailed it to me. Oh, my God. A listener? Yeah. Shout out, man. Um, so, yeah, so the gimmick of this show uh, is that uh, in 2018, Isabel came to me with a uh, bracket uh, filled with the names of the 250 movies on the IMDb the names Top of 250. sitting U.S. presidents that... That's I mean, right. the order I might want to assassinate them in. <laughs> well, you figure the job is mostly done for all the ones that are already dead. Hey, we can always dig around Reagan back up. I, I'll shoot that motherfucker again. I don't care. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that being said, uh, the gimmick of the show is you that ever, we take... Y- yes? it's, it's really tragic that Ronald Reagan didn't die from that. You know what else is tragic? I was actually talking about this the other day. From um, the assassination attempt, you mean? Yeah. Like... Like, hey, you know, say what you will. Uh, I, I'm not saying that. Um, <laughs> hold, on. I'm something, not something. saying that John Hinckley Jr. was like a good guy, but I'm saying he had a righteous cause. And you are trying um, to get our ass arrested. It it would have it would have impressed Jodie Foster. There's no way around it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Something Movie something. Podcast. Killer Mike. Uh, I'm glad Reagan dead. Whatever. Yeah. If only I would have gotten to kill myself. Derek, what movies are we talking about today? Can we just skip ahead? I have a headache. I'm the one making this longer, and I have, like, this terrible headache, and I just had to deal with some car shit, and I also have, like, 600 other things to do after this, but... We have 30 minutes of recorded audio, and a solid 10 of them have to be about presidential assassinations. It's presidential assassination fan fiction. (laughs) And you know what? Now that I say that, that's probably going to be the name of the episode, and I've just shot myself in the foot. No, Stephen King just wrote that. <laughs> uh, is that that one of his JFK novel from a few years back? Uh, yeah, 11-22-63. Fun fact, um, because I've been Googling <laughs> different presidential assassinations so much, when I Google Stephen King, one of the first things I get is Stephen King Kennedy assassination book. Thanks, <sighs> Google. I appreciate so, it. So the show, insofar as it is about movies... Um, we have a bracket of 256 movies. That's the internet, uh, internet movie database, top 250 films of all time, circa August, 2018, and six ringers that were kind of hovering around the bottom with the same score and amount of votes. And the gimmick is simple. It's a single elimination bracket. We, uh, pit, uh, two movies against each other and one of them wins and moves on to the next round. Rinse, repeat until we get to 
the greatest movie of all time, asterisk. Um, and this is episode 32. This is officially the halfway point, and which means we're also one quarter of the way through the podcast writ large. We are one quarter of the way to finding out what is the greatest movie of all time, asterisk. We were so young when we started this, Derek. Uh, yeah, I was exactly three years younger. <laughs> I was in my 20s. Yeah, I, I was in my 20s too. That's right, time, you just turned 30. Time makes fools of us all. Yep, turns out. Uh, so yeah, so every episode we have two matchups, and our matchups for today are as follows. Wait a minute, actually, I should point this out, because as I teased uh, on an earlier episode, this might come up. Uh, we have vetoes, since this is a two-person oh, operation. Sometimes we disagree. And we need a way to break ties. So we have these vetoes that we can use to kind of force a movie through. Uh, we got four at the beginning of this, uh, at the beginning of round one. Isabel has used two and I have used one, which means that she has two left for the rest of the round and I have three. So you, ma- you made it essentially, um, unless you use one today, you made it halfway through with uh, the majority of your uh, vetoes intact, which is impressive. I don't have that kind of discipline. I am nothing if not a patient man. Uh, so today's matchups are. Asan Z versus the Third Man and The Godfather versus Close Up. Ooh, some heavy hitters today, boy. Ooh, I like it. Some all right movies in this bunch. You know, there's a couple mm. ones maybe you've heard of. There's a couple new ones that, you know, hey, maybe have been bubbling uh, underneath uh, your radar for a little bit. But you have, I think if you're listening to this show, you've heard of all four of these movies. Sure. Well, you know, I don't hey, think that, I, I, I don't, I don't think judge. that's that out there. I think what's really important here. Is that I think I told you this uh, before? I think this is the best four movies we've had in the entire run of the podcast. I will have to check back. These are these are three masterpieces and another movie that I don't think is as good uh, that I don't like as much as you. <laughs> okay, um, that maybe you have some personal reasons for not liking as much, but we will get to those. I don't know uh, if that colors. I don't know if that colors it, but uh, I think it's I, it's I, the most important part of this. But hey. I I think I've got like sort of uh, personal aesthetic reasons for it, but uh, we'll get to it because I think it's going to be the first movie we're going to talk about. I uh, think it's your liberal bias, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I would just like to step outside. I, I, I would outside like to step the outside of the. I would like to step outside of the podcast two seconds. Like, I our dynamic is the weirdest shit I have ever heard, and I don't think I appreciate that because I'm in it. But whenever I listen back to the show, I can't think of two people less likely to make a podcast with 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 each other. I don't. Th- I, I've heard plenty of podcasts where this is the main shtick, right? Well, you know, I, I think I think you made uh, we you, uh, we talked about it briefly because sometimes we do talk about the show, like on our own, you know, just amongst ourselves. And uh, some of you have heard "Suck in the Middle" with you, and some of you have heard uh, "For a Good Time." I'm actually not quite sure what the dynamic is between you and JB on that show, uh, but you have heard episodes of 30 Below. I am, in a very literal and figurative way, the straight man of every podcast I'm on. Yeah, you're, you're the Bud Abbott. <laughs> I'm the Bud Abbott. Uh, and uh, my, um, and uh, Isabel and JB uh, have, all, uh, have, all been, uh, have all been my Costellos. They've all been um, my, 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 my gay trans Costellos. <laughs> Thank you. That's another good episode title. <laughs> Which is why I don't think I could ever do a film podcast with Ross Burks because that's two Bud Abbots. <laughs> I mean, hey, like if you got Bud Abbott and Dean Martin in the same room, wouldn't sparks fly? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. We should. I, I'm so sad. There's no Jerry Lewis movies built uh, like on this on this bracket. 
what movie would what movie would it be? It would be probably either Nutty Refresher or Ladies Man. Like, it's got to be one Lady- of those two. Those those aren't the ones I would choose. I would choose Smorgasbord because I'm an insane person. Yeah, uh, people who but- like Smorgasbord are 100 percent insane people. <laughs> It's a gr- fucking great film. I like if you haven't seen Smorgasbord, you should watch Smorgasbord. Maybe maybe The Bellboy is also another option, but yeah. Uh Aaron Boy's okay. Am I thinking of a different movie? Uh, no, Aaron Boy is different, yeah. Aaron okay, Boy well, is after I, Ladies Man. Uh Ladies Man is okay. Is that the one with like the sort of dollhouse sequence? Uh I believe that's Ladies Man, yeah. Yeah, that's a good movie. That's straight up a good movie. Yeah, so is uh Cracking Up, aka Smorgasbord. <laughs> Some would say it's one of the best uh, film comedies ever made. Doesn't just isn't that just a movie where Jerry Lewis just tries to kill himself the whole time? Um, I n- unfortunately no, <laughs> but um, okay. uh, that is kind of the premise of the thing is that uh, Jerry Lewis goes to uh, a therapist because he mm-hmm. can't succeed in killing himself. He keeps trying and it's not working. So then he recounts both his history and the history of his family, and it's just a bunch of different like sketches more or less a, a smorgasbord one might say um as the oh. wikipedia page says the opening credit sequence is a tour de force performance of nephron played by lewis unable to get traction on the furniture and floor of his doctor's waiting room uh and he has justifiably become a fan favorite uh i would agree with that it's <laughs> wonderful uh, we, we got so close to actually starting the show oh, and oh, can, can i say my, my last favorite jo- favorite joke in smorgasbord sure um, there's a part where um, uh, Warren Nephron, uh, you know, the very same, uh, is on a plane. He's going somewhere. I forget. doesn't really matter. And the guy next to him shows him a dirty magazine. Uh, his reaction is, this is disgusting. This is, like, the most obscene thing I've ever seen. Like, I can't believe you'd, like, have this. And the guy asks him, do you want to see it again? And he says, no, I got a copy at home. Which is it's a very <laughs> good joke. funny. It's like, it's Jerry Lewis, hysterical man. Um, the uh, he was once called by uh, Jean Luc Godard the only progressive filmmaker in Hollywood. So, well, you, you know about I don't, I don't I know that's even in the ballpark of true, but okay. I think I'm on, on Godard's. I think I'm on Godard's side there. But hey, turns out JLG was prone to um, hyperbole, to hi- hyperbole and exaggeration. Go figure. No, not him. <laughs> Still alive. Did not, 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 uh, not felled by the demon COVID. Still kicking at 90. Yeah, he is the only one of the French New Wave directors still alive, like at least one of the big ones, right? Uh, yeah. Truffaut's dead. Truffaut's been dead for, for a long time. For 40 years. Um, Chris Marker's dead. Um, Agnes Varda just died, even though she's technically left bank. Um, Jacques Rivette is dead, right? Yeah. Rivette is Um, dead. René is dead. Romare's dead. Yeah, I think I think Godard's the last man standing, which goes to show that spite will keep you alive. Spite and digital cameras. Uh, <laughs> That's right. We should just talk uh, about all of the late period uh, Jean-Luc Godard movies because I think they're all brilliant. But they're they're okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Goodbye to language is the best film of the past decade. Derek, uh, what's our first matchup? Our first matchup. Is Aeson Z versus the Third Man? So uh, yes. a quick, a quick little tale of the tape for this, uh, for this particular little little matchup that we're going to start off with, Aeson Z, which is the what seed are you? The one hundred and twenty seventh seed, Aeson Z, released in two thousand and ten, directed by Denis Villeneuve, written by Denis Villeneuve and Valérie Bogal Champagne, based on the play of the same name by Wajim Wawad, starring 
euh, Lubna Azabal, Mélissa Desormeaux-Poulin, Maxime Godet, Anne-Rémy Girard. Euh, 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 $6.5 million budget, $16 million take. Oh, Derek, I speak French. I do speak French. It's my mother tongue. I know you do. I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of you. I'm not saying anything that's untrue. I'm just being a bully. <laughs> oh, I like being bullied. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You live far away. Fuck you. Go to hell. <laughs> How, okay, that's it. I'm ending this. I'm not editing the podcast anymore. You have, this is now your problem. <laughs> uh, nominated for one Academy Award. Uh, best foreign language film, Lost. Uh, I should probably check to whom. Uh, it lost to In a Better World, a film that doesn't exist. Sorry, Suzanne Beer. Um, but uh, probably more relevant is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten awards, uh, ten nominations at the Canadian Genie Awards, winning eight, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Sound, and Best Sound Editing. So a a, a, a veritable uh, sensation north of the border versus The Third Man, which is the the 130 seed, very tight matchup this one. The Third Man, released in 1949, uh, directed by Carol Reed, written by Graham Greene. Uh, yes, that Graham Greene. The one that uh, John Kill talked about? <laughs> yes, uh, the Canadian actor, Graham Greene. <laughs> uh, starring the guy that was in The Green Mile, yeah. Uh, starring Joseph <laughs> Cotton, Alita Valley, Orson Welles, and Trevor Howard. I don't have any uh, budget numbers at the ready, and I don't have box office numbers at the ready. It doesn't look like it was mad successful, but um, let's just say that this movie uh, did pretty well in the long run. It was actually nominated for three Academy Awards, winning one Best Cinematography, Black and White, um, uh, in the Criterion Collection, considered one of the great movies of the 1940s. One of the it's great, considered uh, good enough that people are continuing to insist that it wasn't actually directed by Carol Reed, which is, <laughs> it's silly, but hey. Here's the thing, Carol Reed, great director, kind of like a solid, like, the thing with auteurism, if I can open a bracket just before. I said it's dumb. As much as we uh, ourselves have fallen victim to it, it's dumb. It's great, but the thing is, we tend to undervalue guys that don't have a ton of either personality or fresh personably. And Carol Reed could have been the biggest bastard in the world, but you can't be a bigger bastard than the guy who's third build in this movie. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, uh, three Academy Awards, uh, one nom uh, three nominations, one win, uh, long cultural tale, one of the, uh, consistently voted one of the best British movies, one of the best movies of the 19, uh, 1940s, one of the great noir films, and, uh, yeah, good enough that people insist that the man who made it did not actually make it. So let's talk about Aesan Z, and let's talk again about returning director Denis Villeneuve. You might remember that we had a hell of a time with Prisoners, a.k.a. the most comically lugubrious film I have seen in a very, very, very long time. And we talked for quite a bit about Blade Runner 2049, too. We did. I think that is still our best pure discussion, mostly because we were on such opposite sides. Yeah. Um, is there any other movies by him on the thing, like his Arrival or uh, Sicario on there? I don't think so sicario sicario's not on there or and what's the other one uh, that's definitely on there that's not on there and it's not enemy uh no enemy's not in there i think that was too divisive but from uh, arrival's not arrival's not on there um although the i i found out looking for arrival that the mma drama warrior is on the list so we're gonna have fun with that one 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The Gavin O'Connor film. <laughs> it's our. Th- this is our third Denis Villeneuve film. So is Denis Villeneuve secretly one of our sort of middle brow champions? I mean, I think I, a hundred percent. Like I, I will say that I continually have the same problem with him, which is that I think he, as a like, as a guy who can put together a film, he can do that real fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he puts together nice image, like pretty beautiful images, and his editing mm-hmm. is pretty sharp. Um, and he you don't get hired to make Dune if your movies look like shit. Yeah, and uh, he like like that lugubrious tone you talk about, and like that heightened pulpy tone as well. Like he he's incredibly well suited to those. Uh, I think he he does it great. The problem is that most of his films are fucking dumb. <laughs> Like most of films are like are like little baby movies for children, and they think they're really smart. Which is, there's... I don't know if I, I don't know if I would go and I don't know if I would go that far to say that the movies are stupid. I, I think, okay, they're simple minded. Let's say, I, I simple, yeah, simple minded. I don't know. Okay, these I are mean, not they're they're not like complex deep texts. I, I think I think they're the kind of um, films that lend themselves well to people believing that they have more to say than they do. Is that is that fair to say? That sounds like the kind of accusation leveled against another one of our middle-brow champions, one Christopher Nolan. But at least like Christopher Nolan makes entertainment with a capital E, whereas theoretically, at least, uh, Denis uh, makes art with a capital he makes, A. It, it's kind of... They are artier movies. Like, he'll, he'll bounce from genre to genre, and... There is that sort of uh, – I don't think that even Nev is a very pretentious filmmaker, but I do think he's a very portentous filmmaker. His that's movies, good, uh, okay, that's that's fair. I, I, I like a lot of his movies. I like Blade Runner 2049. I like The Rival. Artrande uh, ou sur is like Diet Wong Kar Wai, which is actually pretty good. And I thought Aeson Z was okay, not to, not to like spoil the bit. Um, but they, they're all so portentous and lugubrious and pregnant with meaning that it gets kind of distracting and it bogs down the otherwise kind of strong pulpy qualities of his film. They're like these two opposite, um, the, uh, these two opposite sensibilities that don't quite gel together. Sometimes the pulpier side wins. Like I haven't seen Sicario, but I suspect that I would really like Sicario for that exact reason. It's Sicario is kind of a, he did, or rather I should say Blade Runner 249 is when is him doing Sicario 2 to his own Sicario, by which I mean, because that's a really weird <laughs> sentence. When you watch Blade Runner 2049, it gives you an increased appreciation for the original Blade Runner, at least it does for me. You know, I didn't like that movie. When you watch, like, I was not big on Sicario. Uh, I think it has a lot of problems, and I think it's... it's Are you saying that a film made about, a Hollywood film made about the Mexican cartels is problematic? In, no, I'm saying it's not problematic enough because it doesn't have any fucking guts uh, to say anything. But Okay, I see, all right. Whereas Sicario 2 decides just to go all in and like the fast, like it really made me appreciate how good Sicario was in retrospect and how well made it was because uh, Sicario 2 opens like this is how the movie opens is uh, (laughs) with uh, uh, what do you call it? Border patrol trying to round Mm -hmm. up these evil people. Um, And I don't say that as a statement on actual um, undocumented migrants. I do not believe they are evil. Oh, uh, this oh is these the movie are the cool saying evil this. people. Okay. Yes. And they happen to come across, Derek, you, you won't believe this. This is probably the scariest moment I've ever seen in the film. They come across prayer rugs in the desert. 
And there's like an overhead shot with like intense, like spooky music. And the idea is that uh, coyotes are now escorting Muslim terrorists over the border. It is fucking ridiculous. It is incredibly racist. And if you really want to like Sicario more, definitely watch Sicario 2. Watch Sicario 2. That sounds really funny. (laughs) Um, So... So there, I think there's there's two big ways for us to come at um, incendies, as I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's like incendiary. It's, I get it. Yeah, incendie. It's 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 the word for uh, it's the French word for fires or large fires. Yeah, which I I was able to de- de- determine because of uh, cognates or or rather like Latin roots. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's two ways to come at this. There is my intense allegorical reading of the film. And there uh-huh. is your personal experience, which I am so excited to hear about. So what okay, should we do first? So, uh, well, since... Okay. You know what? Let's do yours first as the shot, and I'll do mine as the chaser. Okay, cool. So uh, I okay, like this movie just, a lot. Just, 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 so, just listen. I know what a lot of you come here for, for like the Isabel shit. Buckle the fuck <laughs> up. You are not ready no, for this. I've heard it I already. I think that that our 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 stands come for for everyone. There, they come they come for everyone. But I implore you to buckle up. <laughs> so, um, to to do this properly, I have to just explain the plot of the movie real quick. And I'm going to spoil it. And I actually do recommend watching this movie. So, if you put any stock in my word, just go and watch it real quick. It's not a bad movie, but it's. No, a, I think I, I, we'll, we'll get we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, I personally think it goes right, nice and quick. But so the basic premise is these two kids. Um, I didn't even bother to look up their name because they're complete ciphers, as you said. Je- Jean and Simon. Yes, yes. Um, so, so Jean and Simon. <laughs> yeah, Jean and Simon. Uh, their uh, mother, Noelle, uh, she died. And they're at. Uh, we open at her, the reading of her will. And yes, read by Canadian content all-star Kimi Gigal. I can't believe he got on the show. <laughs> and uh, essentially what the will says is like, hey, here's letters to both of you. Uh, when you bury me, bury me face down, uh, not in a coffin, just like in an empty grave. And you cannot put a headstone on there until you complete this task I'm setting out for you. And the task is, um, here's Simon. I want you to get information on your brother. And here, Jean, I want you to get some information on your father that's that's the right thing right yeah okay and simon doesn't want to do this and uh but the, the you know the daughter does Simon's a little butthead. he he really is just a just an asshole and but the, the daughter does she decides to go out to uh a fictionalized uh, middle eastern country uh it's not a real country in the movie but i believe that the original scriptwriter is lebanese a lebanese canadian they shot in jordan so that general area of the world yes and uh, essentially, we're told through flashbacks what happened. And what we learn happened is that uh, Noal, which is their mother, uh, had a uh, – she's Christian. And there's a Christian – seems to be a Christian majority in this country. And she has uh, a boyfriend or a, a lover. I don't know what the exact term would be. A person who she loves, who she has sex with as well, <laughs> um, who is Muslim. And he's killed by her brothers. And then she is almost killed. Um, but she doesn't get killed and she's pregnant and she gives birth to a child 
and that child gets sent off to an orphanage. But her mom, uh, when the child is born, puts three little tattoo dots on the child's ankle so that if, um, so theoretically, uh, Noel could find her, could find him later. And she goes to the north because she has to leave their village. Their village is in the south. She goes to the north uh, to college. She's part of the uh, college newspaper, everything like that. And while they're there, a civil war breaks out. A civil war between um, the Christian majority, I believe, is what's implied, and the uh, Muslim minority. She takes a trek to go track down her um, her kid because she's very afraid uh, since like he went to uh, an orphanage where he would be perceived as Muslim. Uh, and what do you call it? So she goes to find that orphanage. She sees it's bombed, bombed. It's like completely bombed out. Uh, but there's someone there who's like, I think some of the kids got out. It's like, go check X, Y, and Z. Uh, long story short, she doesn't find him at first. Instead, she ends up joining up with, uh, the, um, Muslim resistance and she commits an assassination for them under the knowledge that, uh, she will be arrested and taken to jail and tortured. So she is. Uh, the uh, people who are currently in power arrest her and take her to prison and torture her. Uh, but she is known as the woman who sings while she's in prison because she, like, her spirit never breaks. Because she's always, she's always singing, no matter how much they torture her. Until they send in uh, this one guy uh, who, uh, at this point, is this, in this point in the movie, is he known as uh, Nihad? Uh, either way, um, uh, I think he's known by the other name, but not, not actually that Ab- important. Abu-, Abu Tarek. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to call him Nihad because that is what we know him for the rest of it. And it'll make it less confusing That's in my right. brain until they send him in. He's like this master torturer and he sexually assaults her and she gets pregnant. Uh, and a, that is what stops her from singing and B she has twins. And what do you know? Those are the twins we know from the rest of the movie. And kind of the big twist in this whole thing is that, um, get ready. Uh, is that Nihad is also her son. Uh, like he's the orphan's child that uh, she lost and never knew what happened to. And she eventually finds this out because she gets uh, like, after she serves her prison sentence, she gets um, sent to Canada to be able to like flee the country essentially. And uh, once the civil war kind of breaks down a little bit more and he might be in trouble, Nihad is also sent out of country and also sent to Canada. And she happens to be swimming one day, uh, Noel is, and she sees the three tattoos on someone's ankle. So she immediately knows, this is my son. And she gets out of the water. And when he turns around, she sees who it is. And the two letters that they were supposed to give him, and they do give him at the very end, uh, one is for the father, one's for the son. And the one for the father is obviously very angry um, and kind of almost, almost sneering. And really takes him to task, let's say, because uh, he did sure. a very, very <laughs> one bad might say thing. that. Um, and then the one to the son is essentially a statement of love and the fact that she promised to always love him and that she still loves him. And that's kind of how the movie ends. Is that fair to say that I get everything like major? I think you got the broad, the broad strokes of it. Yes. Yes. And like we, you learn all of that through like. A bunch of different like layers of like, hey, here's like the current time. Here's the kids learning about these things, X, Y, and Z. It's got these very portentous fucking inner titles that like this book, this movie is separated in chapters, which immediately is a red fucking flag. <laughs> I liked it. But um, unless your movie is fucking Valhalla rising and there's fucking Viking violence happening. <laughs> no. 
I mean, to be fair, I do think The Hollow Rising is a better film than this, but... Oh, 100%. No doubt. <laughs> just, just, just on like a surface level, I like this film quite a bit. I think that mm-hmm. it has a lot of the... like I've heard people say it's a little bit long. I personally didn't feel that way. I was pretty engaged the entire time. Even when I... I told you pretty early on what the plot twist was. Like I was like, I bet this is the plot twist. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah. Yeah, it was. But I think that the character work by... Uh, Noel is wonderful by the mother. Mm-hmm. She's she's really, really good. I think the kids, like we said, are kind of ciphers. Um, there's a couple wow. moments where they do a good job, uh, especially that moment where uh, uh, Jeanette is her name, right? Uh, Jeanne. Jeanne. Um, where she goes to um, visit the village that her, uh, her mom grew up in. And they're basically like, oh, you're her daughter? Get the fuck out of here. Like, you're not welcome here. here. <laughs> uh, it's a really wonderful moment. But... What kind of kept me invested is, A, I think this is actually I, – I was a little iffy when I saw where it was going with the torture. A, it didn't show it, which I appreciated like because I don't think there was a classy way to show it in this context or in this kind of film, um, a, non, a non-exploitative way, I should say. It's more sensitive with that kind of stuff than, say, prisoners. <laughs> yes. Um, and I was a little iffy with that at first, but then once I got my allegorical reading, I think it's actually pretty good. Uh, and plus, you actually kind of need that specific thing to happen in order for her to have the kids. It's a, it, it not to say that that's like the plot justifies itself, or it's not like like a Thermian argument or anything. But it's I see where where it's coming from, and it's more than just a cheap shock, shock factor thing. Um, and besides that, it has like the usual outstanding like editing and really great images and uh, a very poor use of Radiohead. But hey, you know. <laughs> No one's perfect. This movie does not start off on the right foot. <laughs> no, it does not. But then I then I got Galaxy Brain on it, and yeah, my Galaxy Brain said Universe Brain more like <laughs> said, "Oh wait, this movie's amazing." I was trying to think, okay, why why this movie? Like, okay, yes, character study, but is it <laughs> like it's not really? It's like a series of events, and the events are very important in the order they happen, and who things happen to are almost more important than the characters themselves, anyways. So. I was thinking, okay, like I, I get annoyed with myself when I say this movie doesn't have themes, which is something I do too often, um, and I want to stop doing. So I was like, okay, what are the themes of this movie? And I was like, okay, Middle East, um, Christian, Muslim, boom, boom, boom. What am I thinking of? Violence. And then it came to me, and I'm gonna read. I'm gonna partially par- paraphrase what I said to you because it's the clearest way I could lay it out. Because there's a lot of things happening here, so. Uh, something... I want you to put yourself in my position, dear listener. I'm getting this. Like at the what time did you start sending this? Um, I sent this at. Oh, I don't have a timestamp. I only have a date. Uh, but it was pretty late at night. Yeah, in the ass end of the night. Imagine me reading this on my phone. For this metaphor, let's say that Nawal is the Christian West, and Nihad is the Muslim Middle East. Uh, in the south of the country is Nihad in the Middle East, metaphorically. And the city in the north become the West and Nawal. Nawal begets Nihad, just like, you know, uh, Islam came out of uh, the Abrahamic tradition. Uh, so, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. So in a very literal sense, like it begets, uh, you know, Nawal begets uh, Nihad, but abandons him for the city, you know, aka for the West, leaving the South or the Middle East to uh, Nihad, which, you know, Christianity started in the Middle East, um, but obviously it is Islam or Muslim dominated now and Christianity kind of moved westward with like the, uh, the Roman empire and everything like that. And 
a lot of complicated things that would we're already at an hour and we need to move. So the, the city that she goes to is quote unquote civilized and progressive, but its violence breaks out and goes to kill inhabitants of the South. So, you know, the West seems to be this or portrays itself as a civilized culture, but it is where the violence that goes to the Middle East comes from. This could be a couple different things, but yeah, the thing I think it actually is more closer to is supposed to be like CIA backed regime change during the middle of the 1900s coming from the West uh, both that and the establishment of like you know the state of Israel and everything like that like it's a lot of things happened in the Middle East uh, in the past like 200 like 100 years if you can imagine that turns out um, and like you know my my most common reference point is like the Iranian uh, revolution that's like what I'm most familiar with but you know, there was a lot of similar things that happened like it's where you get like Sayakutup and um, obviously uh, Ayatollah Khomeini and a lot of people like that um, but so uh, the reactionary West goes and massacres the Middle East uh, with the liberal West impotent to stop it, the liberal West being the college in this. Like, they are actively against this civil war, but, you know, they don't can't do anything about it. Then they take people of the East and train them to do violence for the West against the East. So that is, uh, Nihad is taken by uh, the, uh, the Christian army and is essentially turned into an assassin and torturer for them turned against the places he grew up in and against people he would usually be backed in in this. That could be a couple different things. It could be, you know, stooges, like CIA-backed stooges, or even it could be a good representation of, like, the reactionary Islamist movements uh, embodied by people like Syed Qutb, um, and then later came into, like, Al-Qaeda and ISIS and things like that. Um, and that culminates in the East, the Middle East, assaulting uh, Nawal. So that could, you know, be any outbreak of Islamist extremist terrorism, but, you know, specifically... I mean, you could obviously say like 9-11, but I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think it's more of a broad statement. And that, that action of assault, inseminates and gives birth to a new world politic, which is the the kids, the the brother and sister, um, who represent ne- neoliberalism and this idea of the forever war. And because of how they were conceived and how they were like created, they're unaware that there is a family bond uh, and there was a connection here before. And uh, there should be like a love there. Instead, they're, they act as if they were totally different from uh, this, these other places. Um, and the end is a breakthrough of capitalist realism into an imagined future of like a reconciliation or at least a reckoning with what actually happened um, or what, what the West did to the Middle East. Uh, so that's a lot. Like I said, kind of big oh. brain. But exhale. There's a lot of things I think that is really cool about that. A, I think that like all the details actually pretty much line up perfectly if you're taking this framework. And B, I think that this film is far more like like on its front end, it seems a little bit thudding, thuddingly obvious, like a lot of other um, of uh, DB's films. Whereas I think it's far more subtle than it lets on initially. Uh, like the way that it deal, I texted you originally like, hey, how racist is this movie going to be? And it wasn't at all. Because uh, I was a little wary, like, eh, like there's a lot of like, uh, like I could see a civil war between Christians and Muslims in the Middle East going very poorly in a, in a film. Yeah, Kingdom of Heaven. This is not. No, um, I think that it is really cool in a way how the film does have those different aspects to it and does have a lot of that complexity that I explained through that metaphor and through like that allegory. But I think it also just works as a film itself because it, it, it doesn't both sides. It's very clear about where the violence originated, but it doesn't also pretend that one group didn't react in a certain way. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
which I think is really cool. Um, I, I mentioned to you, uh, this is one of the more subtle moments that I originally was going to nitpick on here, but then as the scene continued, it turns out that the writer and the director were smarter than I were, and they didn't. I didn't catch him. Uh, is that uh, Noal being Christian? Uh, there's one point where she needs to pretend to be Muslim to get on a bus because she's heading down south still. Um, so she takes her cross off and she takes her scarf that she's wearing and tries to like tie it into a uh, hijab. And it's not <laughs> like it doesn't like follow any rules of like how hijab should actually like a what it should be covering, like how you how it should be like tied or how most people will tie it anyways, um, or like what the rest of her clothes look like. And the fact that those also don't follow those rules, like if anyone who is Muslim who looks at her can very clearly say like, that's a person with like a scarf on. That's not like someone who's actually wearing hijab, which obviously is not to, like it's not to say that every Muslim woman wears hijab, but I'm just like saying in general. And I thought like, oh, I got them. I got them on this one thing. I don't know why I was so proud of myself, <laughs> but um, then the Bashar pulls up and he gives her a look and immediately, you know, he knows that she's not Muslim. Like immediately you can tell from the way he looks at her, but he lets her on anyways to like be compassionate and to try to get her where she's going um, to trust. He chooses to trust her. Which ends in him horribly dying, <laughs> but uh, not really through fault of that. But you know, hey. And I, I mean, I've spoken for a while about this movie. I, like I said, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I had my Galaxy Brain take on it. Derek, I don't think you liked it as much as me. Uh, I want to hear about your history with this film. Well, okay, so a little bit of table setting. There was a time between, let's say, two thousand and three and two thousand and six. So mid-high school to the beginning of college, where I was in more than one play, uh, theatrical adaptations of XYZ thing. Mostly because we had, you know, one of the, the, the arts option in high school was, was drama. And one of the, and, uh, one of the required classes for my, uh, for my, uh, for my stage up degree in film was, was, was performing arts. Um, I am, I am not an actor. I'm very bad at acting. I am dog shit at it. Um, I was never really quite good at it. And as you might expect, as someone who is not particularly inclined to be an actor, has a not great memory for dialogue, and who looks a bit like a weirdo, I did a lot of character work in these three, four years. Can, uh, including Brian Dennehy. That's right. Uh, not as Irish as as Brian Dennehy, but uh, yeah, if you can imagine a West Quebec Brian Dennehy. That's Isn't it amazing how he got our first Irish president? <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. Jay I interrupted Jr. you for a very dumb joke. So, um, so yeah, so I did like, you know, like uh, Moliere and Ionesco and whatever. Uh, and the last thing that I did in, in college was I played the role of like uh, not insurrectionist. I played the role of like a Muslim gunman number three in the most <laughs> lily white production of Ainsanzi you can possibly fucking imagine. Because these because imagine my fucking West Quebec ass in like fatigues and a kafia <laughs> or whatever. Like tr like like because I have an accent in my French. I sound like a seven year old person from Gatineau. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I speak French, and I'm trying to, and I'm playing the role of a fucking AK toting, uh, a, a, a fanatic, a, a killer, you know. And I had three lines, and I fucked up two of them, and I died on stage. <laughs> um, 
I don't think this in any way colors my uh, take on Asanzi the film, which is, uh, as you might imagine, a lot better than the production that we put on. So Denis Villeneuve, I think, is... Uh, I really love that. I, just, well, I, I, said, I just want to like I just, I just want to say I really really like that story. Like I, it's imagine, a thing I wouldn't imagine for you because like like you said you're not an actor. Like it's not the kind of thing I would like imagine. Like oh Derek is a theater kid, because um, you're not. Don't, don't forget. And I, need I colored this in a little bit more? This is 2006, so I have like like headbanger hair. I've got like <laughs> I've got the fucking long hair down to my nipples, and my hair is very straight. It's it's like it you know it curves a bit at the end like all the hair does but I had very straight very long dark brown hair and a beard and the thickest West Quebec accent you can possibly imagine and I'm threatening this I'm threatening this poor woman on stage and I want to be anywhere else except delivering the the lines two of which I fuck up out of three do you remember anyway. them? No, it was, and it wasn't, there weren't, they weren't complicated lines. It was like, stay down or some bullshit. Gotcha. Because it was an adaptation, you see. We didn't have the budget for like a, rec- uh, 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 a, a bus wreckage. Uh, and uh, so, but you all did learn Arabic, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I immediately lost it all because <laughs> I had no one to talk Arabic with. Um, we should both learn Arabic. So, Derek, I need a friend to talk in Arabic with, and I just started learning, and I'm bad at languages. You should learn Arabic. This is my pitch on the podcast. I don't know. If, I always said that if I was going to learn a third language, it was going to be Spanish because it was going to be easier. <laughs> that pro- hey, that probably would be way easier, but also, like, um, this is just more of a me problem, like, in my own life, <laughs> is that it is it – is, I figured this would be easy, but it is shockingly difficult to find – like easy to find and well-made resources uh, for English, like native English speakers on how to pronounce, um, uh, what do you call it? Like Arabic words specifically in the context of like prayer um, for uh, like Islamic prayer. Um, I'm trying to learn and it is fucking really hard. And I'm having to like go to like children's YouTube pages and be like, so you're learning how to like how to perform Salah. So let's go through it. Here's I mean, what you say. I mean, that's one way to do it. That's a perfectly legitimate way to do it. Yeah, but it does make me feel a little infantilized. I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers or whatever. Yeah. Um, but on the plus side, I, um, I can do glottal stops pretty well. So I got that going for me. Which one of the, which one of those is? The one where like, what's, what's a glottal stop? Like if you'd be like, hot, Derek. Like, like when you're stopping like the air oh. with like your tongue. Uh, it's really it's like a, most like famous a, for like uh, in big, uh, Fidelity by Regina Spector with the ha 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 art part. Yeah, yeah, like like that. That stop is a glottal stop. I actually kind of have to do that for my job for reasons that are too boring to mention. Um, <laughs> so my take on Asanzi, <laughs> uh, seventy-five minutes into the show. <laughs> um, <sighs> I didn't. I didn't like it as much as Isabel because I didn't. I don't have any. I didn't have, and I continue to not have any context for that interpretation. So, like a fucking uh, knuckle dragger dunce, I've got to kind of interpret it as a film qua film. And I think this is a film that it's it's completely unsurprising to me that uh, didn't even have transitions immediately from doing this in Canada right into doing Prisoners in America because they both have this same kind of like poor. Uh, it's not quite as lugubrious, even though it is quite lugubrious in his own way. Um, and it has that same kind of portent, but it's not comical in any way like like Prisoners is. This is 
uh, as with Prisoners, uh, a very portentous film to me. And it's very stagey. I think this might be the one thing that colors it uh, for me is that I can't get away from how stilted a lot of it is in its dialogue and its delivery and its uh, thematic delivery. See, I think this might be a bias coming in because I didn't feel that way except for like the math stuff. The math stuff. But the, the math stuff isn't very much. It's like it's like three scenes. <laughs> like it's not even that set up well. It's a it's a couple of things. It's not, and you know, uh, like I said before, it doesn't really start off on the right foot because it starts off with a with a montage of child soldiers set to "You and Whose Army" by Radiohead. That's right, <laughs> the most stunningly obvious needle drop we've had on the podcast. Yeah, um, I, I've heard better. Good song, definitely. though. I mean, yeah, great song. You know, hey, you know, Radiohead. I think we're pro Radiohead in this podcast. Good band, great band, great band. Uh, Passers of the Five album test, surely. Oh, Does definitely. Radiohead have a bad record? Um, well, I know Pablo everyone Honey, hates Kid A. They all love uh, Pablo Honey. <laughs> um, I mean, pe- so pe- people used to go- hate on The King of Limbs, but I think The King of Limbs is actually pretty darn good. That's a good record. I, I think um, they did. They haven't so- made a less than like great album since The Bends. That's my Radiohead opinion. So, so it go- so it would so the run would go the first run would go The Bends, OK Computer, Kid A, um, Amnesiac. Uh, Hail to the Thief. Is that correct? Am I missing something? Uh, no, you're you're correct. Whereas, like my my run would actually be, um, starting at Kid. Uh, actually, kind of starting at. Uh, I mean, it'd be a six album run for me. Or okay, here's no. A- I'm not saying that. I'm I'm not saying that there's that there's just just a run of five. I'm just thinking of the first run of five. Yes, yeah, the first run like of five the, would be the bends through Hail to the Thief. Yes, I agree with that. That that's a, that's that's as good a run as they come. I think. I mean, that's pretty good. Um, I mean, I'm not. But we're the, not talking about Radiohead. Hell uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pause uh, or stop that conversation. We we can't, we can't get any farther <laughs> into there. Um, but you're saying other other um, things that are stagey. Okay. So uh, yeah, it, it is kind of stagey, but it is a film that takes place in uh in a notary's office. It takes place in a prison. It takes place. It takes place in small places. There's a reason. So that's that's fine. But my concern. So but the 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 comes a lot more in. The di- the way the dialogue is written, uh, if it feels like stage dialogue, but you know that's 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 just me. I think the performances are fine. I think uh, I think the uh, actress who plays Nawal, I let her name right now. Her name is Lubna uh, Lubna Azabal. She's quite good, um, but everyone else is kind of okay. Uh, Rémi Girard, I really like him, um, but he's like he's putting in just like. He's a he's the kind of guy. Uh, it's a he's like a John Goodman type where he makes everything automatically at least half a star better. If Rémi Girard is in a movie, I'm fully in, and he's I, he's a complete pro. Uh, I, I just I just like it when he shows up in movies. So I, I didn't I didn't feel its length as much as I thought I would, but this movie kind of suffers in a way that a lot of sort of more serious minded, more kind of slightly prestige movies do in that, yes, everything is really classy and beautiful, but so what? And I think that might be on me because you had like you answered with your whole speech, this is what. This is why. But I don't have that context, so I can't have that reception. So all I'm left with is this this pr- this very pretty but portentous journey of self-discovery to be fair i think i'm also just predisposed to 
being a fan of the portentous, portentous more than you are? I think if this movie, if this movie was more histrionic, if it was more melodramatic, I'd probably be, be more into it. Okay. Actually, if it was half an hour shorter and about seventy five percent funnier, not only would it be a completely different movie, but I'd probably like it better. <laughs> yeah, if 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 he had made a different film, maybe it would have been a <laughs> film you liked more. Maybe. Um, but um, you know, you so, know it's a film that I know you like quite a bit. What's that? Uh, the close up. Uh, that's the next, third man. That's the next that's that right. was a joke. Oh, it landed as about as well as a the bomb jo- sent by America in the Middle East. Um, Derek, <laughs> the third man. The joke. The joke would have been the fourth. Sponsored man. by Raytheon. That is our podcast. Oh my god! If you need, if you really need to kill a bus full of school children. Raytheon's Holy got shit. you covered. Um, uh, <laughs> so this is a movie, The Third Man, which I think is a fucking masterpiece. I haven't seen the first two, but I like this one quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no setup needed. It just gets right to the meat of it. Um, so this movie is almost the opposite in terms of tone and execution. It is, uh, it is pulpy. It is punchy. It is light on its feet. And it looks gorgeous, but in a completely different way. It's gorgeous in that sort of skewed noir style where no angle is no angle is inconsequential enough to not be dutched the fuck up. This is a this is a Dutch angle orama, baby. Hell yeah. If you love Dutch angles, this is the movie for you. And this and Battlefield Earth, that's all you got. I've never seen Battlefield Earth. It's not as good as Third Man. Why the can believe that? Why the fuck would I? I will say this because you have broken is, brains like me. Come on now. <laughs> I and this is something that I will that, that I I I think this is not a wild take. I think that Orson Welles in this movie gives probably the best supporting performance in a film in the history of motion pictures. Yeah, if, if it's not the best, it's in the top ten. Like not even like like not even a problem. This is the yardstick against which every supporting performance should be measured in terms of like, in terms of just uh, performance, in terms of, um, in terms of I mean, just uh, presence. Like, I mean, Orson yeah, Welles yeah, has always had that. Density of presence. Density of presence. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Like he's in, I think like what? He's in like three scenes total. He's in like four scenes total. Yeah. It's the part where he shows up with that little fucking Orson Welles smirk <laughs> and he doesn't say a fucking word and it says everything you need to know about this guy. The conversation in the Ferris wheel, uh, the denouement in the sewer, and I think there's like one other scene. Yeah, but like that's it's, it. It's not very much, which no. But whenever you think about this film, guess what you think about? <laughs> you th- and it's you not Joseph Cotton. Yeah, who does a pretty good job in this movie. He's he very. Does. Good. He's not bad. It's just that when you're up against what uh, Orson Welles is bringing, it feels almost, almost mean. It's unfair. Yeah. Um. So, so uh, the four, uh, the fourth man, the third man is. Uh, so broadly speaking, it's Joseph Cotton, who is uh, going to um, to uh, to occupied Vienna post World no, War Two. Yeah, post War Vienna. Uh, yeah, post War Vienna. Importantly, not occupied. To meet his friend Harry Lyme, played by Orson Welles, and um, some shenanigans are afoot, one might say. 
uh, he's a writer. He's going to meet his friend who, get a, uh, who he says will get a job for him. And immediately he gets embroiled in some like underworld uh, sort of uh, underground spy chicanery. spy ring chicanery. Exactly. It is almost textbook uh, wrong guy pulp stuff. And guess what? It's a fucking trope because it works every fucking time. And I will say, like, I had never seen this movie before. It is very funny to me that, like, within, like, two minutes of him getting to Vienna, they're like, oh, yeah, your friend who invited you here is dead. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's a great key, way to start it out. It's just like, hey, kick it into third gear right away. Yeah, key thing is Harry Lime is dead. Turns out he's not. He faked his own death <laughs> for reasons. For bad reasons. <laughs> for bad reasons. Um, so, yeah, this movie is like... This movie is one of those movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey where it's like the total package. It's got everything. It's got amazing performances. It looks fucking amazing. The score is distinct. You will never forget it. It's got one of the great final shots in cinema history. One of the great supporting performances in cinema history. It's got one of the great... Not a one and done performance by um uh fuck what's her name uh, uh Alita Valley because she she was like sort of like a she was like considered in the day to be kind of like a, a budget Greta Garbo or whatever but I she's great she was she's fucking awesome in this movie and I mean uh, like Joseph- she ended up being like kind of a cult horror icon weirdly like yeah well, she was in she, Inferno she kinda, she, Suspiria she was in Eyes Without a Face. Uh, yeah, she she kind of has that look though. She kind of has that sort of what's the name what's the name of the of the actress who was in uh, Cat People? She has that same vibe. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm googling that while you talk. So and yeah, there's like I already said the score. It's it's a zither score. Uh, it's got it's it's uh, Carol Reed is one of like sort of the great unheralded no not unheralded. He's he's gotten his due I think, but one of the great sort of carpenters of the British studio system. Quick question. Were you talking mm-hmm. about uh, the Paul Schrader cat people or? No, no, no. I wasn't talking about okay. Natasha Kinski. I was talking cool. about the OG one. Uh, Simone Simon. Simone Simon. Uh, same vibes with, uh, with, uh, with, with Valley here. Um, it's got like a great twisty little Agatha Christie plot going on. It's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's fucking perfect. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> I didn't like it quite as much as you, but I do think it's fucking excellent. Like, I wouldn't say it's perfect. There was a certain thing, like, it very much, I didn't, I I liked the first half, but I loved the second half. And almost Mm. the first half is hurt by the second half because I'm like, oh man, this is like what the movie could have been this whole time. And I had this other half. Oh, bummer. Whereas if it would have been the same quality all the way throughout and there wouldn't have been that like sharp jump, at least to me. Uh, it wouldn't have been as noticeable that I didn't like the first half as much as I liked the second half. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is something I noticed, though, that I am a lot more receptive to a movie setting up its back half. This is the same thing that happened with Wages of Fear, where it's like, I like the part where everything is kind of like where the dominoes are being set up, whereas you are really more into the dominoes actually falling. Not that I'm not into uh, dominoes I, I'd falling. Say I, I like... The stasis of the dominoes, <laughs> like, like I like, I like it to be in one thing. This is gonna sound weird, but I don't generally like arcs to movies. Like, I like when movies have a tone or a mood and they stick with it, or they have like a thing they're doing and they stick with it. 
Um, which is why I've often said like that stories are kind of the least important part of a movie to me. It's because I think like, I think stories are important, but plot you could probably do with a little bit less of. Why did I sound Irish just now? <laughs> plot, but but yeah, uh, it's like I like tone and vibe far more than I like anything about like what's actually happening. Uh, and because of that, like when I think of movies I love, uh, like the assassination, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. There is a movie I love. Incidentally, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's character arcs there, but it has a tone and it has a thing that it's doing, and it does that for two and a half hours or like almost three, and it's perfect. Whereas this movie is a little herky jerky. I don't know. I think the herky jerkiness is kind of part of the tone. Like it's a skewed noir. Like it gets more sort of a little bit more abstracted with like the sort of great classic chase scene in the uh, the ashes and diamonds ass chase scene at the end. I think maybe instead of a skewed noir, I wanted just a a fucking surreal, like, dreamlike noir. Like, you wanted, like, Detour or something. Yeah, yeah. Or hell, I, I wanted, like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, mm, Carnival of Souls, but noir. Which is, which I think is fucking awesome. But I do, like... You're just better at appreciating movies than me. It's okay. I get it. No, you don't no, have to no, keep no. pounding like, this, it in, Derek. No, 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 it's no. all right. No, 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 no. This is, this is clearly an aesthetic <laughs> thing. This is clearly... Like I am way into like it's like basically tone poem films, right? But I, I'm the kind of guy that like like to use my domino metaphor to sound. I like to see the dominoes set up before they're knocked the fuck over. Yeah, I, I think that like I will occasionally if it's especially creative. But I'll be honest, I didn't really pay attention much to the plot here. I know I know the thing that Harry Lyme did that was bad. I couldn't tell you how that setup came about or what happened after it because I wasn't really paying attention to that. Um, I was paying attention to like the score and like how the movie looked and like how people were acting. That was much more important to me than like how those dominoes were being set up. In fact, like I, and, I didn't. I, I'll say I didn't notice most of the dominoes being set up because it wasn't important to me. Well, in that classic noir way, they're kind of being set up in this way where it doesn't matter the order in which they're being set up really matters because. Uh, I, I, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna talk in French just now, even though I know you can't <laughs> fucking. I'm, okay, well, I'll indulge myself. Kidzi film noir, zi convoluted. People, when you say film noir, you also say a kind of convoluted plot. That's right? not really setting up dominoes, though, is it? Like, like in, in many ways, the point of a noir plot to me is to forget that there's a plot happening because it's so complicated. You're like, oh, fucking whatever, who cares? Uh, like that's how I felt about like the Maltese Falcon, which is like, eh. Who cares what happens in the Maltese Falcon? I just want to see people act and have fun. Well, you're not necessarily setting them up in a straight line either. I mean, like your 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 uh, your uh, your domino setup can go on a little journey. I mean, you can make your start your domino one I way. I think we've stretched this metaphor past its ability to actually be useful. <laughs> All right, uh, last thing about this movie that I'm going to say: the cuckoo clock speech. Part of the greatest supporting uh, supporting performance of all time. One of the great speeches of all time. Mm-hmm. I can't like. I know you really like Hey but I can't imagine the third man doesn't go through. Um, so here's what I'll say, is that if I was just going off of which movie would I want to rewatch right now, it would actually be um, Incendies. But, <laughs> but here's what I'll say, um, is I think I said all I had to say about that movie. Like, I, I gave okay. my my a galaxy brain take. I said the other things I liked about it. I don't think I have much more TED to talk. Like, give. Uh, and... I think the third man has depths there that we haven't talked about. Like, like, cause we kind of, yes. we kind of ran through it a little quick, 
um, just because mm -hmm. we are an hour and a half into this and we still have two other movies into to this talk recording, about. Yes, that's right. But um, like, there's a lot more digging with like the dialogue specifically and like how Graham Greene writes a lot of that stuff, which I think is super cool. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that the main character is also a writer, like a writer of pulp westerns. And the way that pulp the police factor right. in here is kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, there's way more to talk about with the third man if we move forward, in my opinion. Whereas uh, I feel mm -hmm. like I have uh, I've dug in all all the meat of the crab that is incendies. <laughs> is that how you do crab? I've never had crab. I'm never going to have crab. But how do you? Uh, you crack yeah, it open it's, it's, and it's you just suck the meat out, right? Well, you have a little crab fork. I mean, I, I feel like most I feel like I usually see, see people just like slurping on that crab leg like maybe the leg maybe the pincer but like the sort of crab breast or whatever the fuck it is i haven't eaten crab in ages i always imagine it's a lot like eating crawdaddies but like when you eat crawdaddies you just like pop them open and just like slurp it down it's like a shooter yeah you're not you're not eating it's not like eating uh like it's not like eating oysters yeah or, or lobster or whatever i mean i don't slurp lobster either. no that's 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 what i'm saying it's, it's like crab is more like lobster than it is like and it's closer Products. to lobster. What a weird tangent. <laughs> uh, Congratulations to the third man. <laughs> um, a lot of other places in the world don't have crawdads. It's weird. Are crawdads a thing in uh, Canada? Canada? Uh, <laughs> did, did, you, did you ever uh, like, go, go like, like, like crawdadding? I've never gone crawdadding. I don't think we got crawdads up here. Uh, I feel like it might be a little too far north. But yeah, I'm, I think it may be a little cold for, for those poor little fuckers. Uh, but this is not a culinary podcast. Well, I wouldn't eat them anyways. I'm just talking about like I just like them. They're just they just, they just got some some spice and some pizzazz to them. <laughs> All right. Plus, I I love the like different like names that they have. Like a crawdad is a wonderful thing to say. But the fact that they're also crawdad. called like crayfish and crawfish and craydids, crawdaddies, crawdads, freshwater lobsters, mountain lobsters, mud bugs, and yabbies, according to yabbies. Wikipedia. It's great. It's beautiful. We, um, and we all know that Wikipedia is 100% correct about everything. And uh, what do you call it? When Wyoming, the University of Wyoming, had a like foods from all across the country day, they had a like uh, like crawdad bo uh, boil and they had uh, deep dish pizza. I didn't have I, – I was vegetarian then, so I didn't have any of the uh, – excuse me, the crawdaddies. But I will say they looked disgusting because I think all bugs look disgusting. Sorry to like – Crawdaddies, I support you, like, spiritually, but I can't be, be near you. But the deep dish pizza that they made was... So you know how deep dish pizza is, like, like, like taller than, than a regular wait, pizza? Wait, when do we start talking about food? <laughs> Hold on. This is, this is real quick. You know you know how, okay. deep, how like, a Chicago-style Chicago deep dish pizza is, like, like it's almost like a pie. Like, there's, like, a whole it's side like of the It's like cheese pie, yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently the person who was making this didn't know that. Instead, what they did is... I'll never forget this, because I, I bit into it, and I was like... I I need to leave the state forever. This is the worst shit I've ever seen. Um, is instead of, you know, making like a nice little pie pan kind of thing and throwing your sauce and your cheese and your business in there, instead, um, they just put extra layers of crust. So it uh, was it was just like like oh. an like an inch and a half or to two inches of crust and then a regular amount of pizza toppings to it. It was So it was like a weird good. pizza biscotti. It was uh, it was uh, like if you made a briefcase out of pizza. I don't know. Oh boy, uh, Derek. Yes, There's two more movies to talk about. Sure is. Uh, sure are. Let's let's set them up and knock them down. <laughs>
We are 95 minutes into recording. Fuck. Okay. <clears throat> well, you don't have anywhere to be, right? Fuck off. <laughs> well, I mean, do you not? I mean, I have a, I still have a pounding headache and I still like have to edit uh, our, our fucking podcast so I can release it next Tuesday. <laughs> I do have things point. to do. And also I have to exercise and I have to do music practice and I have to read some. But I mean, also I, I have, to practice, to, uh, have to practice uh, voodoo. Because um, I've almost got that down. I've almost memorized uh, the Arabic from that. We're getting there. Sudu voodoo. No, voodoo. Voodoo. W-U-D-U. It's a ritual washing before you pray. Voodoo. Uh, where are we? I don't know. Oh, yeah. All right. Are we good? Are we good? Are we good to go? Yes. Do it. Awesome. Bitch. Yes. <laughs> second matchup. The number two seed. The second best film of all time, right behind the Shawshank Redemption. The Godfather, released in 1972, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Written by Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo, uh, based on the uh, novel of the same name by Mario Puzo, starring Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Richard Castellano, Robert Duvall, Sterling Hayden, John Marley, Richard Conti, and Diane Keaton. Uh, Six to $7.2 million budget. We never know with Frank Coppola movies. Uh, made 250 plus million dollars at the box office and uh, a Bonnie Fidey Oscar player uh, scrolling down, <laughs> nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Academy Awards. Uh, well, technically uh, 11 because this movie was triple nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Cool. James Caan, Robert Duvall, Al Pacino, all nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, hey, and due to, can't really be mad at it. Not really. And the thing is, with uh, the vote splitting that happened there, n- none of them won. <laughs> Absolutely none of those three guys won. The Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor went to Joel Grey for Cabaret. And Hollywood would never let that happen again. Mm. Uh, so nominated for 11 Academy Award nominations, winning three Best Picture, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, which he famously refused. Uh, yes. And uh, the and adapted the screenplay. For Mario Puzo, uh, Mario Puzo and Frank Coppola, uh, and uh, generally considered to be one of the greatest films of all time. Is uh, that fair to say? I've heard some good things about it. I don't want to go crazy, but yeah, sure, why not? Okay. <laughs> all right. I I, uh, I heard yeah. that it, you know why it's the number two ranking in uh, on the IMDb top two fifty <laughs> because it is doo doo duck shit. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Everyone hates it. Uh, close versus up. versus close up uh, released in nineteen ninety. Uh, directed by Abbas Kiristami, uh, written by Abbas Kiristami, uh, starring Abbas Kiristami, Hossein Sabzian, and Moshe Makmabaf. Uh, there we go. Yep. Um, yeah, but- I don't have any. I don't have any deets on this. Doesn't look like it cost a ton of, ma- a ton of money to make. Was uh, famously panned whenever it was released in its native Iran, uh, but started gaining a bit of a reputation abroad and ended up becoming one of the acknowledged masterpieces of the 1990s. Um, Winner uh, winner of the uh, Quebec Film Critics Award at the Montreal International Film Festival in 1990. Um, and uh, different countrymen they have. <laughs> turns out. Um, and uh, yeah, just generally considered to be one of the great films of the 90s. And like, when you think of Abbas Kiarostami, this is probably the movie that, if you're doing The Family Feud, Close Up is probably number one. Uh, this is a hell of a matchup because I think both these movies are fucking bulletproof masterpieces. <laughs> Yeah, I I will say that hurts um, me so bad. Did did we mention? I I apologize if I missed it, but did you mention that close up was one of our ringers? 
Oh yes, close up is indeed one of the ringers. Uh, it, so ha- if it is either of us wants at- to move forward, Godfather. No veto will stop that. No veto will stop it. Yeah, because uh, uh, close up is number two fifty five on the list. Is this one of mine or one of yours? This is one of mine. Okay. Uh, so yeah, both of these movies are fucking masterpieces of their idioms, and like I'm gonna say a real fucking video store video store snob bullshit. No fucking film collection is complete without both of these. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess I don't have a complete film collection then, because... Yeah, I'm neither not... do I, it turns out. <laughs> what am I going to do, buy The Godfather? Come on, let's not be ridiculous. I got the, I've got I got Godfather Parts 1 and 2, and oh. I watched uh, Close Up on the Criterion on the Criterion show. Uh, well, I have Close Up, and I uh, completely legally got a copy of The Godfather <laughs> to watch. Uh, it was on a... It was, uh, Godf- I didn't even watch my DVD copy. It was on Canadian Netflix. I'm the reason why uh, physical media is, fe- is failing. How dare you? Can't so okay, so let's shit. talk about let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the Godfather. Um, I think my inner <laughs> what Norman absurd didn't come thing out to say, like, hey, we're just, I'm gonna, we're gonna tell I'm gonna you go all about the Godfather. Uh, I'm gonna go hard in the paint for this fucking movie because it rules. It's really good. Sometimes the hive mind is right, and um, I think if we were just to go like power ranking of the actual best, like, I think this deserves to be number one on the list. I think this movie's better wow. than Shawshank. Wow. Um, it should it should be going up against Boogie Nights, which would make me want to fucking put a bullet in my head. <laughs> I, I thankfully I I could stave that off for the time being. The Godfather is fucking amazing. It's it's like the crown jewel of seventy studio filmmaking. It looks so good. It's like the Third Man. It's like this. It's like this perfect cinematic object for what it's doing. It's like there is. There's crime movies before this, and there's crime movies after this. The thing with The Godfather, we don't have to explain what the fucking Godfather is. You know what The Godfather is about. I forgot a lot it's about, about a, what happens in this movie. a real cool dude who never does anything wrong and never does <laughs> anything right. bad happen to him. That's right. That's why we love it. It's like Scarface. That's right. It's exactly like uh, Wolf of Wall Street. We love it because we love the guy at the head of the movie. And Goodfellas, same thing. I'm going to get to that point actually in a second. Okay. but. I forgot a lot about what happens in this movie. I forgot that James Caan died. I forgot about the whole Apollonia subplot. I forgot a ton of stuff about this movie. If I were just to put make a movie out of the parts that I remembered, it would still be a top 10 movie of all time. Wow. That's quite the claim. It's really fucking good. I had this listed, and I think I still have this listed as 4.5 on Letterboxd. And I don't know why I'm waffling on just giving it the full five. Maybe it's because this is a movie that's beloved by a lot of fucking meatheads, right? Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, I don't think that's a fair reason, thing to hold against it. No, it's, it's absolutely not fair. This is like sort of a personal hangup. But I think, like, The Godfather is. Yeah, here's what, here's what I'll say The Godfather is good enough that I would put it in my top five of Coppola films. Yeah, because you have you're one of these fucking weirdos who thinks like late period Coppola is where it's at. It's genius, like it's, Twix it's best. and Tetro and shit. Um, I haven't seen Tetro yet, but I do have it downloaded. I do plan to watch it soon. Uh, but yeah, Twix is his best movie ever. But then there's also like Dracula, and I actually prefer the conversation of his seventy of his seventies movies. Um, Tucker, the, the man in his dream, is really really good. Uh, you have told me that that is a quote Derek ass movie. It is. You'd love it. I love Jeff Bridges. His Rip Van Winkle isn't bad either. I didn't even know he did it with Van Winkle. Yeah, it stars Harry Dean Stanton. It, he had a very, very f- 
like fecund 80s period. Like post-apocalypse now, he has this run of just very weird, idiosyncratic, really interesting films. I need to see one from the heart so badly. I'm sure I'll love it. So do I. Uh, Rumblefish is a masterpiece. But yeah, he, he has a really, he has a really interesting 80s. Like, I think two, two 80s that I have to, uh, to, uh, do a deeper dive on is Frank Coppola in the 80s and Jean-Luc Godard in the 80s. I was, okay. Those are two I was really literally going to say, decades. I feel like Francis Ford Coppola is the Jean-Luc Godard of, like, new Hollywood. Because this is the run in the 80s. It's one from the heart. Hammett, The Outsiders, Rumblefish, both in the same year. Cotton Club, Rip Van Winkle, both in the same year. Captain EO, the fucking 3D ride with Michael Hell Jackson. Yeah. Peggy Sue Got Married, Gardens of Stone, Tucker, The Man in His Dreams, and New York Stories. That is an addled run. but <laughs> that's, that's not the thing that a human should make. <laughs> no. <laughs> but this is the run. I know when we talked about Alfred Hitchcock recently that I said he has one of the God five movie runs of all time. But I would like uh, fucking Frank Coppola gets pretty fucking close because this is the run. Uh, Godfather. Uh, the Bellboy and the Playgirls. Tonight That's for right. sure. Dementia 13. I've seen two of those. I bet you can guess which two I've seen. <laughs> um, the first, uh, the, the ones he made in 1962. Sure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Neither of them are good, but I definitely watched them. <laughs> the Godfather, The Conversation, Godfather 2, Apocalypse Now, One from the Heart. Now, the weak link in there, I suspect, is one from the heart. But if I like it the way I think I'd like it, that's a not insignificant run. And especially considering you follow it up with Outsiders, pretty good. Rumblefish, really good. That's a very, very good run of movies. And that's like up there with like... Because here's the thing with the late run, because if you go backwards, because if there's ever a physical release of... Distant Vision, the thing he's doing right now. That's going to be like a six-star movie for you. Oh, absolutely. But as it stands, you've got, going backwards from his last movie, Twix, Tetro, Youth Without Youth, The Rainmaker, Jack. What a what an insane run of movies. It's 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 really I love fascinating. It. I love it. Um, so but all this to say, this movie is as good as every mid- meathead who talks it up says it is. Not for the same reasons. But it's fucking fantastic. So what I'll say is, uh, you know, we like to have fun on this podcast. We like to tell jokes, uh-huh. to make some yes. japes. Um, uh-huh. But previously, uh, when I uh, said that uh, it's number two because it's uh, it's poop, uh, <laughs> that was a joke. I think it's actually sure. a pretty good movie. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's a it's it's a kind of movie you should watch. Yes, it's it's a pretty <laughs> um, brisk. It's a it's a brisk almost three hours. It's it is, very it operatic. Say, it's super quick, like for how long it is. Like I felt it was just constantly moving. There was always new things happening. I never felt like I was losing. It was losing me or like kind of lulling me into sleep. And I forgot just how many iconic scenes are in this thing. Because like the first like hour is just here's everything you've ever remembered from The Godfather. Just boom, 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 boom. So uh, and then it just keeps going, <laughs> which is kind of fascinating. I will say that I don't like it as much as you. Um, for me, it's a four-star film. It's a film that Off. I liked a lot, but it's not a film that I it's, would go to no bat twixt. for. It's no twist. It's no twist. Like, no, it's not. Uh, and if, like, I was going, what is the movie of New Hollywood? I mean, it's me, so I gotta say Days of Heaven. And if you were to ask me what's the greatest God run of all time, I'd say Terrence Malick's entire filmography, because I'm that person. But... <laughs> 
to be fair, he, 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 he had a run. He's continuing to have a run. He's never stopped. Started the, started the, started at the bottom. Now we're here. Uh, you like Song to Song a lot more than me. I adore Song to Song. Uh, I also really like Night of Cops. I think his, his, the weakest movies of his I've seen are Badlands and Night of Cops. And I like those a lot. Because what's the run? It's Badlands, Days of Heaven, Thin Red Line. New the World, New Tree World, of Life. Tree of Life. The Not actual bad. run is... The actual run. The actual run is the... I, I would personally have to cut one of these out. But if I was going to make a run of five in sequential order, it would be New World, Tree of Life, To the Wonder, Night of Cups, and Song to Song. I think To the Wonder is his best. Song to Song being in there is like, that movie is not better than Badlands. No, it is. Like a hundred times. Like that's, I would. That's insane. Badlands is a four-star movie. It's very good. It's a, it's a regular Godfather. Whereas uh, Song oh to Song God. is five stars. It's amazing. It makes that's... me like sob. It's it's like every emotion at once. I'm sorry that you don't like care about the Lord, <laughs> Derek. Maybe I'm. Well, listen, to be fair, I don't think I care about the Lord as much as you care about the Lord. <laughs> or as much as Terrence Malick cares about the Lord. <laughs> or as much as Terrence that's that's fair. That's that's a fair accusation. Fuck me for liking the 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 slightly pulpier one with Warren Oates in it. I am not saying I, I dislike Badlands. I'm just saying like um Why are we talking about Terrence Malick? Oh yeah, we're talking about runs. Because what else are um, we gonna say about Godfather? Like it's hey, it's great. <laughs> have you seen it's, it's great. Have you um, heard of movies? C- congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Godfather. Although I will say James Conn biting his fist after he sees Talia Shire with the Shiner is really funny. Because <laughs> it's like, but it matches the tone of the film because this is, this is like the third man in that it is, it's a pulpy film. But it's, this is, this is the kind of, this is, this movie succeeds where Asanzi fails in terms of portent. This is also a portentous film, but it's got an operatic quality to it. And every fucking inch of dialogue sounds like an awesome meathead aphorism. And I love it. <laughs> it's it's real good. It is a very good film. Um, I I'll say this. Uh, one thing that I uh, I forgot how much I liked uh, John Cazale. I forgot how much I liked him as Fredo. Like he's Talk so pathetic. Godman. It's great. It's wonderful. Like he he's he's generally really really good. He. Yeah, famously, he died young, only starred in five films, and every one all of them, of them are amazing. Their best picture, <laughs> yeah. and all of them are amazing. Um, but yeah, you know, like uh, there's there's so many like little details about this film I just forgot about. Like, and it just has like like so much good texture and so like the editing and the music and yeah, the, it's the a the good film. Cross cut the like if I were to show a, like okay, it's if one I of those films that makes me feel dumb because like what am I gonna say? You know what I mean? Exactly, right? It's like, if I had to show a space alien, like, uh, um, if I had to show a space alien what a match cut was, I would show the Bone to Spaceship from 2001. I've already said mm-hmm. this. This is on the record. If I had to show a space alien what cross-cutting was, it would be the <laughs> baptism scene from this movie. It's a great fucking scene. I can't, I can't disagree. It's, ah. See what I, it's like, this is, this is the normiest shit you will hear. The Godfather, good movie, turns out. Whatever. Who cares? Masterpiece. Whatever. It's a masterpiece we take for granted because it's been kind of beaten into our heads by people with taste in their ass that it's a good movie. Um, and it was a great it was a great video game. It was a it was two great video games because they did Godfather 2 as well. Sure did, and they got James Conn like to for, a, reprise his role in the video game of the Godfather. 
Uh, I, and during my BA, I lived across the hall from a guy who loved this movie because Godfather stuff is hot couch guy shit, right? Oh, 100%. It, it is that that's exactly why it's so hard to like just say oh it's a good movie you know what i mean and you know what brando really good in it there's no bad performances in this movie he's my second favorite marlin is marlin wayans your number one <laughs> yeah that was kind of a joke i don't actually think it's better <laughs> but like hey you know we we all have fun here we have fun we all have we do have fun here and hey white chicks is a fine movie <laughs> i would not know um i was very tickled that they referenced gabagool within the first 10 minutes <laughs> That's the, other, that's the other interesting thing about it is there's so many things in this movie that are have become just the joke. I got the gabagool. Yeah, uh, but it, it it works. It's a it's oh, a good. Movie. Can I can I lay down a really stupid joke that I was trying to find a forum for, and I think I found it here because no one's going to listen. Is it going to be discriminatory against the Italian American people, Derek? No. Okay. I would well, then I don't want to hear it. Okay. Well, you're going to hear it anyway. Okay. So here it is. Uh, concept. Saying Gabagool, but the same way that Travis Scott says Jamba Juice in sicko mode. So, I've never heard that song? It's a good song. You lost me. Oh, well. Someone will find that funny. Hit us up in the Discord if you thought that joke was funny. Now, what's great is Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. That's a great film. Almost as good. <laughs> a Mar- a Marlon Wayans to- joint. Yes. Almost as good as Close Up, the uh, the competitor uh, facing off against the mighty two-seed... Uh, uh, the Godfather. So it has its work cut out for it. Oh yeah, this movie is also a masterpiece, but it's a it's a much more mo- it's a ma- it's a masterpiece of way more modest means. It's a conceptual masterpiece. When you think of uh, docu fiction or metafiction, this is top five. This is like one of your go to examples to describe this particular style of sort of meta filmmaking it's like a little verite it's a little um it's got a whole sequence towards the end where the sound cuts out maybe it's on purpose who knows but it does add to the texture of the film this film the best moment of the movie (laughs) it's really good it's because it's legitimately frustrating (laughs) yeah but But, you know uh, it's but it's it makes it more beautiful is my is my fun opinion and the thing, the thing with the sound coming out in this film, and I should say really quick, this film is basically a uh, reenactment of an actual. Uh, this is kind of like of a thin, uh, thin, uh, not uh, the. Um, what's the fucking um, Errol Morris film about the executions? Uh, oh, uh, the the great the air, air uh, hmm. the air up there. So wait, no, I'm is thinking it the Werner one. Well, the thin blue wine is the one about the cops. What are you thinking of? Yeah, the one with the guys on death row who got exonerated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, you're right. You're right. The thin, yeah, the thin blue line. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So this is kind of like in that uh, – it's that thing where it's like it's a giant reenactment of an actual crime story where uh, – Well, part of it's a reenactment. The, the court scene is actual like real footage. It's real people playing themselves in the in lead up. The yeah, in the setup to and – execution of a reenactment of an actual court case involving a fucking cinephile weirdo who because it kind of he kind of felt like it impersonated a popular Iranian filmmaker well we'll get into why he did it because I think it's that's the meat amazing of the film. uh that's the meat of the film this is a central question I, I, th- I think this movie more than any other movie 
ever. I'm, I'm going to be hyperbolic here, but I don't think it's actually hyperbolic. I think that. Charlotte Goddard. <laughs> um, I think if you were to say what is the movie that explains why movies matter, it's close up. Like it has to be close up. Like this is the movie that says, "Hey, here's why movies are important. Here's why movies mean something, and they're not just why fun. do movies have the pull they do." Yeah, why? Like why should we keep making them even? <laughs> and close up tells us. Close up does tell us. Um, so it's this feat of metafictional ingenuity. And the, what a, the point I wanted to make about the sound coming out is that this happens in like the climax of the film where. Hossein Sabzian, who was the yeah. uh, the person convicted, uh, the impersonator, um, confronts meets the man he by, impersonates. Forget, meets the man he, he impersonated, Moshin uh, uh, Buff. and the sound he and he is like in tears and super fucking embarrassed because of course he would be, and the sound cuts out and it mirrors it. <laughs> if I could put on my fucking close reading cap just for two seconds, it kind of mirrors the frustration that he must feel. In yeah. being confronted by the sort of specter of the person that he, uh, he is in the filmmaker, he is faced with kind of the misdeed that he did, right? And so far that it is a misdeed, which it is. But but I mean, also his, I'm, I'm going to say like, if, if I'm also putting like my close reading cap on it, also like the difficulty he had in communicating why he did it in the first place. Like that's basically the entire court sequence is him trying to explain over and over again. Like, here's why I did it. Like, why aren't you getting this? Like, I'm trying to tell you and you're not listening basically. Um, And it's that same kind of frustration. It's like, I want to hear what these people are saying. I want to understand, but you can't. Uh, And it also is a fun meta, like meta textual thing. It's like, did they do that on purpose? Cause it seems too perfect, but yeah. So good. So, so the film, uh, the film is like an hour forty, and a fucking solid hour of it is basically Sabzian in, in, in close up. Incidentally, um, oh fuck, that's why it's called close up. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's literally a part where uh, Abbas Karastami <laughs> explains what a close up is to Sabzian. Oh man, and the movie, the, and the movie fucking starts like the the credits end on a close up of a newspaper, presumably about the incident. Yeah. Oh god. This is a nice intricate little thing. It's got it's got three moving parts, but they move boy do they move. Um so the yeah, so the centerpiece of this film is a reenactment of the trial of uh Hossein Sabzian. That I believe is is actually real. Yeah, he he was actually allowed to film Sabzian's trial. It turns out you can do that if you ask nicely cuz the 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 grain of the film is different. It doesn't look yes. the same. Mm-hmm. To hear Hossein Sabzian talk about why he wanted to impersonate this, he impersonates this guy, this filmmaker, because he wants to get, functionally, he wants to get to this Herzogian ecstatic truth, right? Sure. And he spends an hour trying to articulate that because it's these twin poles of the power of cinema compelled me versus I did a crime. And that's what he keeps running into is that like he will start explaining and then someone will be like, but you did this thing. And he's like, yeah, but like, no. I was, like, in, I, I was in character, sort of. Yeah. Um, and there, there's just this wonderful tension uh, between like him and both the judge and the family who seem to also be working at different purposes. Like the judge seems to be working on something different than the family is as well. And then there's this guy caught in the middle who, yes, committed a crime, like, but also it's like, 
I mean, I, I don't want to just like say like I have no problems with the crime he committed, but I don't really like. It's more or less victimless. <laughs> like, is a middle or upper of. class family that he, he did got taken along for like what essentially is like a couple bucks. I mean, I I, I kind of get it, right? You know, like no one wants to be taken for a ride, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's like <laughs> it's almost as if the family doesn't acknowledge the kind of like. Um, the the fam- like it, the way that this is framed the family that was conned doesn't see the forest for the trees yeah cuz like like i think he very elegantly explains like hey here's what i did i wasn't trying to hurt you and then like when um the judge asks him like hey are you going to like pardon him like you can do that um they're basically like he didn't apologize but like he did <laughs> like if you're listening to him talk he clearly that feels remorse time, for yeah. it and he clearly like he apologized multiple times during that. They're just what they want to hear is I did a crime. I'm sorry. I did a crime instead of him trying to actually say, here's what it's like to be a lower class person who has a shitty job, doesn't pay much, who is worried how he's going to afford food, who like is trying to support his son, like all this kind of things. They just don't want to hear, which is also the big point of the film is like these class divisions and class struggles. And, and the movie kind of ends with like uh, not a male culpa, but the uh, it ends with like sort of a uh, uh, essentially a kind of reconciliation, uh, a kind of reconciliation, a, a kind of promise to do better, I guess. But I don't know the movie. The movie does a pretty good job of not damning Sabzian, mm-hmm. and the ending the the ending reconciliation feels more. If 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 I have one complaint about this movie, that is a fucking un- unadulterated masterpiece. Is that the ending feels a bit tidy? Oh, but that's, that's interesting because like I think the fact that like when he first rings and they he's like hey it's it's Sabzian and then they just don't answer him and then uh, the actual Mahmoudov has to be like hey right. I'm here before they actually open the door for him. I think kind of says it all. Okay. At least to me, I like. Yeah. I, I've said I, I can't say how you react to the film, but that's how I felt. It is like, oh, this isn't like, this isn't the thing that it actually is supposed to be. Like everyone's still treating him very, like, patronizingly. A, a little bit, yeah. Like they say, like I, I hope he'll be good now and make us proud of him. It's like motherfucker. That's not really like the point of of this whole thing. <laughs> and. Do you mind if if I if I like the last thing he says in prison? Really? Do you mind if I uh, not in prison in the court? Do you mind if I just read that real quick? Go ahead. This is Sabzian. This is a Sabzian. Uh, when he's asked to like explain himself for kind of the last time, he says, "Every time I feel sad in prison, I think of the Quran verse that says, speak Allah's name and your heart will be consoled.' But I feel no consolation. Whenever I feel depressed or overwhelmed, I feel the urge to shout to the world the anguish of my soul, the torments I've experienced, all my sorrows." But no one wants to hear about them. Then a good man comes along who portrays all my suffering in his films, and I can go see them over and over again. They show the evil faces of those who play with the lives of others, the rich who pay no attention to the simple material needs of the poor. That's why I felt compelled to take solace in that screenplay. I read it, and it brings calm to my heart. It says the things I wish I could express. And A, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> but like B, I think that's also pointing to the th- the things that the movie ends sort of unresolved because these people still have like the evil faces and they still are blind to the plight of, of the poor. And he says in the beginning of like this whole trial, like, why'd you do it? He's like, I felt like powerful. Like when they thought I was his director, like they would do what I said and they would listen to me and they would respect me. 
And like for a moment, no one's material condition is different. No one's material condition is different at the end of this movie. Yes. It has, it has no arc. One might say. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine that. Um, I mean, I, I, I think this movie's like unspeakably beautiful. Like I think it's incredible. Um, it's really good. That, that final scene of like you barely getting half the like words while the thing cuts out, I think is one of my favorite scenes ever. And even it's like, also just fucking heartbreaking just seeing him fucking cry and like like yeah. fucking just shrivel up basically and like um and uh I'm never gonna get his name right uh Mahmoud Buff is just like fucking fucking buck up man don't worry about it maybe like be like hey fucking calm down dude like like Mahmoud Buff is being a dick like let's be real well he's like I mean okay um I'm sorry but <sighs> if I met someone who like had him i i feel like if i've even if it was a difficult situation which obviously it is like uh makmobaf is meeting a guy who impersonated him for a couple days and went to prison for that but if someone just starts like breaking down crying in front of me my first reaction is to try to comfort them and not be like oh come on like let's let's not do this you know what i mean sure i just have an inherently negative reaction to that kind of attempt to do things but uh i don't think he's like a terrible person it's more just like that's not how i'd handle that situation like, he's not shooing him away or, like, fucking beating him with a newspaper. I mean... No. He gives him a ride on his motorcycle in, one of the, in like, one of the most iconic scenes in, uh, of, uh, of, I guess, 90s cinema, right? Yeah. I mean, de- definitely, like, Iranian film in general, but yeah, as 90s cinema, too. I also love the shot of the can rolling down the hill. Yeah, it keeps coming up. It's a little motif. Yeah. Turns out that there are forces that cause us to move forward inexorably that we can't stop. Yep. Whew. So... Uh, I think it's pretty clear which so, one I lean on. So really, this is your choice. Because if you say that Godfather moves Godfather. forward, it moves forward. Since close up, uh, we have that rule where any of the movies that we added, mm-hmm. if there's any resistance mm-hmm. to them, um, then we don't get to use vetoes. It's got to be Godfather. I fucking hate to do it, but it's got to be Godfather. Okay. If, it's, it's fine. If you, uh, you want to be a white bro uh, and not care about world I cinema. Made, uh, I made no constant. We literally just moved forward to British film. No, that doesn't count. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite foreign country. Uh, the, British. <laughs> the UK. Fucking UK. Um, no, I mean, they're both masterpieces and one of them has to go. My favorite now, countries for foreign I mean, film are the UK, uh, Canada, uh, and Ireland. That's right. A big Ken Loach fan. Oh, yeah. You know me. So, yeah, it's got to be The Godfather. I can't. Like, as much as I love Close Up, it's... It's got to be the Godfather. I can't. Okay, I mean, okay, I, I, I disagree, but at the same time, like Godfather's I mean, sure it, is right? a great movie. Uh, and uh, since we shot down Godfather Part Two already, mm-hmm. I feel like it's 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 totally fair. Like I get it. And we we shot down Godfather Part Two for Perfect Blue. So also, like I feel like we already got our weird choice in there, and I can't really complain. <laughs> you use a veto on your name. Your name is a perfect film. We will get back to it. Don't worry. It's great. I don't know if it's better than Gone Girl. It is, but that's fine. Oh, we will, Derek. We'll get to it. Okay. Well, you know what? We've already ma- we've made it halfway through the bracket. You know what? You know what the fuck is up? I still got three vetoes in my back pocket, baby. The sex half of the bracket is mine. If you want to be that person, sure. If you want to move ahead, American history. Oh shit, that's a terrible matchup. American history X versus Incredibles two. Just throw me in the fucking river. I'd rather the Incredibles drown. two is probably fine. No, it's it's probably almost as bad as the Incredibles one, which I mean, which is a perfectly fine movie. No, it's terrible. 
like maybe the worst made Pixar ever made, which is saying something because they have made nothing but fucking terrible movies. We know about you and Pixar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, hey, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Maybe The Incredibles two. Like, I'm pretty sure the I'm pretty sure the worst Pixar movie is Cars three. No, it's I haven't seen Cars three, and I guarantee you, it's not as bad as The Incredibles. That's ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, hey, Cars two is like a perfectly bad film. I I would never <laughs> want to watch it or wish it on anybody, but. It's not torture, unlike The Incredibles. That's now plane we'll now planes, fire, and rescue. Now that's a film. It's got Dane Cook. That's the first. Mo- that's the first movie I ever got fucking paid to write criticism for. <laughs> planes, fire, and rescue. That's right. Hell, hell yeah! I love that movie it was because pen. it uh, it implies that, uh, or actually, this might, this might only be the first planes. I'll be honest, I don't remember. I feel like it's the second one. But um, in the second one, does it imply that, or does it outright state that World War II happened in the car universe? I don't know. Okay, because the first planes movie, one of the major characters, I believe, uh, I would oh. have to look the exact thing up. Uh, yes, Cedric the Entertainer plays Leadbottom, a biplane. Oh, no, no, I'm looking, who am I looking for? Shit. Um, oh, hot, hot diggity dog. I found my review for it. <laughs> You should link it uh, in the show notes. Uh, but the point is I'll link it in, that... I'll link it in the show notes. Planes is where we learned that in the Cars universe, there is a plane who is old, but he existed during World War II. So that implies, A, some very troubling things about the timeline of these films. Um, but B, it also implies that there are sentient cars and planes in this universe. And one of those sentient planes bombed Dresden. <laughs> And another one of those sentient planes uh, dropped bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which is something. It's something to think about. Just keep in your mind. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, re- re- always remember Dusty Hopper. Derek. Can, can I be super indulgent and read the first couple sentences? Fucking review. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> this is from 2014. This is the first piece of criticism I ever got paid to write. <clears throat> Uh, I got up early on a fucking weekday morning to go to an empty movie theater to watch this. Is that the first uh, line? There's a mo- no, no, no. Uh, this is the first line. There's a moment in Planes, Fire, and Rescue where one of the sentient vehicles is prompted to, quote, drop the needle. The request is followed by a series of quick cuts. A small anthropomorphic forklift pulls out a record from its sleeve, slams it onto a turntable, and lowers the tone arm. Then the unmistakable infinite hammer-on rift to ACDC's Thunderstruck appears on the soundtrack, accompanied by a getting ready to, getting ready to slay a fire montage sequence. Wait a second, one might ask. LPs exist in this universe? Hold on, ACDC exists in this universe? Are they planes? Or cars? But if they're cars, how in the hell did Angus Young or whatever his weird car, car pun name is play that awesome riff that clearly necessitates some kind of phalanx? So, yeah. I love it. We all love it. Oh, boy. You should definitely uh, love it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but now let's wrap up this fucking episode. Uh, next time in round two, we are going to have the Godfather versus the third man. Tough matchup. Boy, boy, howdy. Tougher, tougher for me than for Isabel, but still pretty tough. I, hey, I, I like both those films quite a bit and not as much as you. That is where I'm at with them. <laughs> um, but uh, next episode, we do get to talk about uh, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind and Raiders of the Lost Ark. We sure Ark. do. And a movie I haven't seen and a movie I hate. So, hey. So, yeah, uh, next episode, we officially start the second half of the bracket. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark versus Nazca the Valley of the Wind. Although I guess and... our next episode would actually be a halfway summary. Oh, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but our next um, 
our next uh, proper episode, our next bracket episode, Amelie versus Shutter Island, Raiders of the Lost Ark versus Nasca the Valley of the Wind. I haven't seen Amelie or Shutter's, uh, Shutter Island uh, in, uh, I want to say, 10 years. So uh, I haven't seen either one since they were both culturally relevant. So uh, it's going to be interesting to go back and watch them. <laughs> so here I thought Amelie was your favorite movie. It's not. That and Delicatessen and City of Lost Children. I I, st- uh, I also have an actor's history with Delicatessen. <laughs> <laughs> did, did y'all perform it? Uh, no. Uh, p- uh, part of an assignment we had for one of our uh, production classes was to recreate uh, recreate as closely as possible in terms of look and tone uh, a scene from Delicatessen uh, to basically test our metal with like studio lights and uh, sound and blocking and all of that. How'd and I played... I played the fucking butcher guy and I sucked because I'm not an actor. I suck at acting. I'm really bad at it. But they kept insisting I do it. So whatever. Did you ever see uh, Micmacs? I did. It blows. Okay. That makes sense. Not, I don't think his other movies good. are very good. Um, okay. I saw that movie in th- – that was one of the first movies I saw with Steph at the movie theater. City of Lost Children is fine. That's my opinion. Ron Perlman. My, my favorite he, – he's a, he's a jewel of the sea. Are you an Alien Four person? Probably not, huh? No, I'm an Alien Three person. Alien Four is like fine. Like I don't, I don't hate it, but it, it's no Alien Three. To be fair, Aliens isn't Alien Three, so. I mean, that's that's still one of your more insane takes. Uh, you know, like t- <laughs> top three is obviously Prometheus, Alien Three, and Alien. Uh, if we're including, if we're including Prometheus, mine would be. We're including all. Of them. So you can include AVP. You can include whatever you want. Uh, it's going to be Alien, Aliens, Prometheus. Alien 1, Aliens eh. 2, Prometheus 3. I, I, I mean, we will talk about Aliens later on this podcast. The more I think about it, the less I like it. And the more times I watch it, the worse I think it is. But we'll cross that bridge when we burn it. <laughs> so if you want to get in touch with us, there are several ways you could do that. You could contact us by email. You can, uh, The email address is middlebrowmadness at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us on Twitter. I am at uh, Derek underscore G. Isabel is at Space Jam Fan, and the show itself is at Middle Brow Pod. Uh, Isabel and I are both on Letterboxd. Uh, we are both at those same handles, or same thing as our Twitter handle. So I'm at Derek underscore G. Isabel is Space Jam Fan. Uh, we are part of the ever growing uh, Noidspace.xyz podcast network. Uh, listen to Isabel's other show for a good time. Um, do send us emails with vegan recipes and opinions about the pics and all that other shit I don't care to mention because I forget half of it I'm sure um, join the discord the link is in the show notes uh, come and have fun with us um, there's been a recent conversation about the motion picture cats which I'm not privy to because I still have not seen cats I don't know great why film. I <laughs> it's a great film no I okay I'm not being sarcastic I legitimately think it's a great film no I, th- I know I think that is kind of fucked being, but I, I, I know you're being earnest but that still doesn't Change the fact that I think that that's a wild tip. I've always heard that um, it's important to be earnest. Uh, yeah, some guy said that, right? Anyways. It's important, in, it's important to be in jail, like earnest. Oh, man. We should, that's the best earnest movie. We should watch that. <laughs> Can we watch <laughs> that on the like, brackets? Like our, our bonus episode like thing? Just like instead, of, instead of reviewing the halfway point. Because I fucking love Ernest Goes to Jail. It's a great movie. <laughs> it's like easily the best of the Ernest franchise. Like not even close. Um, I wouldn't know. It's got Jim Varney playing like a second character. Like he plays a totally, he plays against type where he's like kind of like a badass and like he's evil. <laughs> it's awesome. It rules. Like, I f- oh my God, I fucking love Ernest can Goes we, can, to Jail. Can we just watch like John Woo's American movies or some shit instead? Why not both? 
There's a part of better time than the John Woo movies. I don't think we will. I think that uh, I mean, hey, Face Off and Ernest Goes to Jail are basically the same movie when you think about it. All right. If, okay. Um, tell you what. If if we if if the podcast gets to five thousand plays before the <laughs> end of the calendar year, we will do a special episode double feature of Face Off and Ernest Goes to Jail. You heard it first here, people. Get going. Like that. That'll be a difficult thing to reach, but we can do it. I believe in us. Um, I believe in the power of Ernest. <laughs> I believe in the power of uh, tactically deployed doves. Um, I think I think we're good now. Cargo as as... pockets on. That's right. I'll, I'll, I, the only reason I wear cargo shorts is because I want to carry doves around. <laughs> uh, you, you 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 can sign off. I think I've had enough of this. Yeah, I think we're good to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you for thank you earnestly, not Ernest goes to jail, but earnestly for sticking with us on this weird, bumpy, quixotic journey that we have undertaken. We are twenty five percent of the way there, and we'd really appreciate it if you stick with us for the next seventy five percent of the journey. <laughs> well, what's important to remember is uh, that Alien Covenant is better than Aliens. Um, I've been Isabel oh. Arf, and I've been Derek Gade. Have movies. Be jolly. Have movies. Be jolly. Good night. Good night. Alien is the alien is the best one. Alien is the best one. Alien is the best one. But that's like, hey, you know, there's there's no one as good as David. Anyways, stop the recording now.